welcome to an extremely special edition of the Demonland Podcast. My name is Andy, and joining me on this very special occasion is my co-host, uh, Grape Viney. Good evening, GV. Uh, good evening, Andy. It is a very special occasion indeed. I didn't. Uh, I don't think anyone would have thought that uh, we'd ever get to this day. Um, uh, so elusive has our guest tonight been over the years. Yeah, I mean, uh, I certainly never expected it. And it was, um, I think it was even on this podcast earlier on the in the year that we sort of um, put it out there that uh, we'd love um, we'd love to get our upcoming guest. And I don't think we, uh, um, I guess we can mention his name. It's not a secret. Uh, Alan Jakovic will be joining us shortly. Um, but we, we, we have made it our goal uh, to, to find him and get him. And I, I, when we did that, I didn't think that would ever be possible. Um, and I know we've just completed 10 or so days of trade week uh, in which we saw a little bit of action and we'll discuss all of that next Wednesday night uh, when the Demonland podcast returns to our regular scheduled programming. But tonight is all about the man I mentioned uh, earlier. Um, and don't ask how we managed to pull this off, but uh, this could be the coup of this, the century. Um <laughs> uh, and we don't know why either. Uh, yeah. There's been – he would have fielded hundreds of or dozens of uh, requests uh, over the years, uh, um, you know, in the 20-plus years since he retired from media outlets far and wide. Um, and uh, as far as we can tell, this is the first, uh, the first interview, proper interview that he's done uh, in all that time. So uh, there's a lot to get through. Um, even though his career was short. Uh, so looking forward to, you know, not only reliving um, some of those magic moments, but perhaps also putting to bed or confirming um, some of the myths and legends which have long circulated about uh, about Jacko. Yeah, um, and um, I'm sure we're going to be in for uh, a great treat. Um, and I think I don't know. Should we uh, should we just take a short break and uh, get started? Um, I, th- I don't think anyone wants to hear us rattle rattle on. No, um, no, so, they don't. So we're Let's just get uh, straight into it. So we're just going to take uh, a short break. You're going to hear a little clip of Jacko. Uh, of his playing days and well, we're going to get straight into it so without further ado um, we'll be back in a moment Superbly done A forward in the first half, a defender now to love it, does forward of centre wing so uh, Melbourne's miracle charge of four goals in four minutes has been halted but this is a good mark by Dyson too far out to score. Jakovic led and then goes back to the goal square. Dyson goes as hard as he can. Bennett in good position now. Offhand. Jakovic! Oh. oh, sensational! Well, you couldn't describe that goal. You'd have to see a picture of it. That'd have to nearly go down as one of the goals of the year. I can say that Dennis Stewart kicked the goal like that in a league. City. Watch this, Jakovic. Oh, excuse me, please. Well, what a remarkable goal. Here's 
is Clark out of the middle. Melbourne go forward again. Jakovic will lead back in the race. Open goal is beckoning. He goes off the ground and he's missed this time. I think they should take him off, Dennis. He got the scissor kick. He missed the penalty. We're joined tonight by Demon Royalty, uh, certainly one of the most talented players to ever pull on the red and blue jumper. We usually do long introductions to our podcast guests, but tonight's guest needs no such intro. He's the one, the only, the mercurial Alan Jakovic. Uh, Alan, thanks for, I can't believe I'm saying this, uh, I have to pinch myself, but thanks for joining us on the Demon Land podcast. Yeah, no worries, Jason. Uh, happy to join you two, uh, you two fine demon men. Um, yeah, I've done a little bit of research there and I've uh, listened to a couple of your different pods here and there and uh, found it very entertaining, might I say. Well, we Thank really, you very uh, much. We really appreciate yeah, I don't know about the I don't know about the royalty, mate. Uh, maybe a, a, a mad wild night. <laughs> um, well, I guess royalty. I'm talking in the uh, in the eyes of the supporters. You're certainly demon royalty, um, and we'll we'll touch on that a bit in the interview. Uh, but uh, yeah, on behalf of Andy and I and uh, all the Melbourne uh, listeners out there, thanks for coming on. So great to have you. Yeah, it's my pleasure, mate. My pleasure, and hello to all the uh, the good demon folk out there. Um, Still starving for a premiership, um, unfortunately, but um, hopefully there's one close just around the corner, eh? Well, with all the uh, all the droughts being broken at the moment uh, with the Bulldogs and Richmond of late, uh, yeah, we're hoping we're next cab off the ranks. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll look forward. Yeah, to I think we've, we've missed out there. I, I think uh, the Bulldogs and... And uh, Richmond, particularly uh, this year, has sort of leapfrogged us a little bit, and um, uh, it's a bit unfortunate. But um, I'm sure, looking at the list there and some of the guys that we've got, and um, this young fellow that we've just got over from Adelaide, oh, I think Jack Lever. Um, yep, Jack Lever. I think there's some really bright, bright days ahead. Let's hope. Yeah, let's hope. Well, we might uh, ask you a bit later on about uh, what you think of the D, the current crop of Ds, but uh, this is a night of uh, reminiscing a little bit, so um, I might get started. Alan, uh, you were the fastest player to reach uh, 50 goals. You did that in nine games, and equal fastest to 100 in 21 games alongside the great uh, John Coleman. Um, how do you reflect on your career? It, it really must make you feel proud to have your name alongside one of the game's greatest goal kickers. Uh, yeah, it's it's just, I suppose, another one of them famous sort of stats, um, if you like. But, uh, you know, when, when I look at it, I, I don't think it's a... Um, you know, if, if I was 18 or 19 years of age at that time and, and that happened... When I was at that age, I would say it was a real great feat. But being 23 years of age, I think I was 22 or 23 at that time. I'd had a fair bit of senior football under my belt with um, uh, Woodville in the SANFL and also a bit of a stint up in Darwin. Um, You know, so I was pretty primed and and sort of ready to go. And then I suppose what unfolded in that season sort of... Um, probably fueled me to um, really, you know, get 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 cracking. 
if you like. And um, yeah, it was a bit of a a bit of a a, a purple patch there, if you like. Um, and uh, that was fueled by a lot of different emotions. And um, yeah, just basically a, a want there to sort of succeed and um, and uh, you know. Did you come in? Goals. Did you come in thinking to the VFL that you that you would succeed? Because um, you did have that experience under your belt, as you say. But uh, just to take um, the listeners through it, you made your debut in round one of '91 against West Coast. Uh, but it wasn't until you were called to the senior side in round 14 that you hit your straps and you hit them hard. You kicked three against Hawthorne that day and then bags of eight, six, six, eight, seven, eleven, five, eight and six in nine of the next 11 games. Um, You talk about the purple patch. Did you come in thinking you'd be able to do something like that or did you surprise yourself with the success? No, I, I did think I could do it. Um, and I think a good grounding for that was um, probably uh, a game up in uh, Darwin with the, representing the NTFL against um, Essendon uh, up in Darwin. Um, a great Kevin Sheedy initiative uh, where he took sort of football um, around the country. I mean, he was a real pioneer as far as that was concerned. And um, I remember playing in a game uh, there against Essendon, playing on Terry Danaher. Um, I had to earn every kick. I kicked eight on him that day, I think. But, um, you know, Terry Danaher at that stage was probably into his early to mid-30s. Um, you know, I was 21, probably, years of age there, sort of jumping out of my skin. And, um, and I can still remember sort of preparing for that game thinking wow you know we're playing against Essendon here and, and this is this is uh, as close as to the big league as you, as you can get you know and some of the names that were in that side um, which I ended up playing against you know a year later uh, when I uh, went down to Melbourne but um, yeah I, I think that that, that that particular game, kicking eight, uh, as I said, for the Northern Territory, um, really made me believe that, yeah, I, I can belong in, in this sort of company. Yep. Um, and, you know, when, when I look back and reminisce on that, I, I've only probably got Kevin Sheedy to thank there. And, and um, like I said, what a, what a pioneer. And, um, you know, he introduced all this sort of stuff. And, you know, if there's any young player out there that... Uh, is playing on the fringes, you know, playing in the VFL or, or even a, a, a high standard um, and amateur competition. Um, I couldn't stress more um, how how great it would be to go up to the NTFL, up to Darwin. Um, for the listeners that don't know, um, their season sort of kicks off basically yep. now. And it runs yep. through to Christmas, and 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 um, I think January, February, late February is their grand final, and um, that really put me in good stead. Um, I really developed a lot of speed up there. Um, I really enhanced my game as far as my um, my explosiveness, if you like. When you've got these young black fellas chasing you, <laughs> and they are lightning quick, and um, you've got to really know 
what you're going to do with the ball before you get it. You've got to know what you're going to do with it because they're going to be really hot on your tail yeah. really quick. And it's a beautiful brand of football. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's, it's very skill-orientated. Um, you know, you don't get the real big heavy clashes. Um, it's, 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 it's real pure football. Um, not to the it's old. An open, it's an open game, isn't it, up there? Very, yeah, very open and very quick. And, 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 and really, if you haven't got the skills, you won't survive up there. You've got to be real quick with your hands and feet. And, uh, like I said, if you, if you're left wanting and, um, you know, you don't know how to dispose of it, um, by the time you've thought about it, you're gone, just on you. And, yep. um, yeah, so that put me in real good stead. And, um, you know, when you go back to that question, you know, can I do this? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there was a game up there against Port Adelaide, I think, before that Essendon game. It might have been just after. And I, I presented myself quite well and kicked goals in both of them games and, um, you know, really went away from that thinking, yeah, I can do this, you know. So, and, uh, yeah, and then coming down to Melbourne, um that first game, I think we played a uh, we played a, a practice game, uh, something like a Foster's Cup or something like that. And um, yeah, we, we played one there against Brisbane at Carrara, and I played on the half forward line and kicked half a dozen, and was feeling pretty good. And then, um, yeah, unfortunately, that first game we had to travel to Perth, and it was a wet, real stinking wet day in Perth and um, I think we only kicked two goals for the whole game I think I might have had two kicks that day and one of them was in the arse <laughs> and uh, you know I uh, I sort of uh, didn't survive the selection table and um, sort of got relegated to the reserves for the next ten or so weeks and um yeah, I, I did feel that I, I should have been in that team. I think the team was going along quite all right. Darren Bennett was um, serviceable, and um, you know, I still felt that you know kicking tens and elevens and eights and consistently in the in the twos, I, I, I felt like I, I I should have been there earlier. And I think that might have um, really lit the fire. If you like, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Why did it take so long? You were you kicked sixty goals in 10, 11 games. What 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 do you think it was? Well, I'm was not too sure. Back? I'm not too sure. I think um, you know the match committee or John Northey could better answer that question. Um, and and maybe there was a little bit like, yeah, let's let's light the fire in this bloke's you know belly or let, let, let's let's put the blowtorch to him and um, let him suffer in the reserves a bit and just see sort of what sort of fires burning in that belly. And um, I think, you know, when I did get me chance after that, I think Darren was starting to struggle a little bit. And, um, and there was also, I think I could have come in a bit earlier, but I remember there was young Darren Cuthbertson, if you remember yes. that name. Yep, he kicked a couple kicked, of bags. Yeah, he kicked yeah. a seven or eight there against Collingwood one week yeah. at Waverley. North. I remember yep. it. I remember it well because I sat in the stands, 
sort of shaking my head, thinking, well, could be another couple of weeks in the Magoos. <laughs> and uh, so I suppose a few different variables there, if you like. Um, but, yeah, certainly when I did get my chance, I, I sort of made sure that, um, yeah, I let them know that um, in more ways than one, if you look at some of the replays, after I kicked a goal, there were some sort of signs that went back to the coach's box. And, uh, so what that fist up um, that you used to do, is was that uh, was that, that fist that you used to do, the punching of the fist up? Yeah, a, a, bit of of a couple of fingers might have been sort of <laughs> been protruding through that fist, if you like, or whatnot. But it was a bit of me um, against the rest of the world, if you like. I'd, I'd also lost my father a couple of years before that, and... Um, he was uh, instrumental in my life, and um, and it's hard to deal with that sort of loss. And um, you know, um, when it did get me down, there was a couple of times there where I don't know. You probably see on a few replays, I was probably the only bloke that wore a black armband on one particular week. But if I was feeling a bit down or something and thinking about my dad, I just used to put that that black armband on me. Um, on the arm, and you know, if anybody asked, it, I used to say, "Well, oh, it's just a, a bloke I knew in Darwin, or a bloke I knew in South Australia, or something passed away," and didn't sort of elaborate on it too much. But, but uh, it was just, it was just a time where yeah, I was missing the old man, and um, <clears throat> that just sort of helped me, sort of, you know, bring him along with me, and. Um, yeah, that's what I So you, you, were, you were actually still very young when you lost your father, obviously. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was just, just before I turned 20 or so, something around about there. So unfortunately, um, you know, Dad passed away pretty quickly after a short illness. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, didn't get to see uh, my brother Glenn and myself play um, at the big dance there, if you like, and uh, something that we sort of carried with us. And um, what can you say? That's life, you know. Yeah. Well, um, let's uh, go through some of those games in a bit of uh, depth. Uh, I was watching today, um, the, and I've put up onto uh, the Demonland Facebook page uh, your your game against North Melbourne. Uh, that famous 11, I think you kicked 11, you, you kicked like nine behinds, one out on the full. Um, and uh, that's, that game is a favourite of, of, of everyone's. Uh, tell us a bit about that famous uh, scissor kick goal that you kicked that day. What, what was going through your head uh, yeah. when that ball was coming in? Well, yeah, I think that was just a bit instinctive, that, that, that particular thing. I mean, if you sort of blink, you miss it, you know, and yeah. um, the, 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 the ball sort of went over the back of the pack and the way I read it, um, uh, I, I sort of went uh, beyond it as well and then all of a sudden it just popped out there and and then, um, yeah, I did a few of them in the backyard with a soccer ball. I don't think I ever attempted to do it with a football. Is, is that from a soccer uh, background? Uh, is that where that I think came? so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. We played a lot of, hell of a lot of soccer in the backyard when we were kids and, uh, you know, the old man wasn't really keen on us being sort of that European background. He wanted us to play soccer but... 
you know, when all your mates at school are playing footy, yeah. um, and you know, you, you, you know, that's that's how you first sort of get introduced to sports like this. You know, it's it's your mates that's playing with your mates, and um, <clears throat> yeah, so that soccer sort of thing didn't last too long. Although I still love me soccer, and and I played a little bit for Adelaide Croatia probably in a second division, I think, when I was playing in Adelaide. And uh, you can do those sort of things when you're young, sort of play on a play footy on a Saturday and go and play soccer on a Sunday. Yeah. But uh, probably not at the highest level. Of, I don't think an AFL club would let you do stuff like that today. Or they wouldn't let you now, though. But, um, but yeah, that was, a, that was one of them days where, <clears throat> uh, yeah, just jumping out of the ground. Um I remember playing on uh, on um, Mickey Martin. Mickey Martin that day. That's right. He sort of came out with the thump and uh, got all aggressive and um, you know told me he was going to punch me in the back of the head if I go anywhere near the ball and this sort of stuff. And I didn't say too much. I never used to say too much until you actually let uh, your goal kicking do the talking. And once. I was up and about and kicked a couple. Uh, then I sort of let Mickey know that day that, uh, look, mate, don't worry about punching me in the back of the head. I'm going to make you look like a clown today. So, <laughs> And uh, um, uh, the more I kicked, the quieter old poor old Mickey got. <laughs> and it was quite funny because I started to rev him up there. After I had about four or five, every time I saw the North Melbourne runner sort of running towards or running onto the field to give directions like runners do. I kept reminding Mickey that he was coming to get him very shortly. And to lift your head, Mickey. I was saying, lift your head, Mickey. He's coming to get you. He's coming to get you. I think he had a few, uh, a few opponents that day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the runner finally did come out to uh, move him, and uh, I gave him a few pleasantries and made sure that I said goodbye to him. And uh, unfortunately, I've got a great respect for Mick Martin. Um, I watched him play some great games. Geez, he had his work cut out with some of the quality forwards that he played on, you know, the pluggers and the lockets, the, uh, the, the ablets, the dunstools. And, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> unfortunately, I never got to play against Mick again. I never gave him another through injury and whatnot, maybe suspension here or there. Never got to play on him again, and uh, I ran into him in a pub once, and I, I sort of promised him I'd give him another shot. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't the bee. We had a beer and we had a bit of a laugh. But um, he, he had an incredible career. He was a, he was a great player for North Melbourne, I think. You kicked the first six Melbourne goals that day, um, and as Andy said, finished with eleven nine and one or two out in the full. But you also got reported for abusing an umpire. Um, it was a pretty eventful afternoon. Uh, it was an eventful afternoon, mate. It was, and um, yeah, I suppose uh, that sort of precedes me. I, I think that sort of stuff uh, wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been me unless I got reported after that. Um, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I'd, um, I'd I'm not too sure what happened there. I was just in front of the members there, and and they were being pretty vocal. I remember that that day, and um, 
I don't know who the guy was, but he had a free kick. I don't think yeah. I gave a free kick away, but yeah, I ended I, up on the mark. I watched it today. Yeah. You didn't get the, I yeah. it. There was no way it was a free kick. You let the umpire know it. He gave you. You kept letting him well, know it. He uh, got fifty. But it wasn't that. It wasn't the free kick. I mean, you don't want to. You know, and especially when you're jumping out of the ground like that, you've got a bag to your name already. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, you don't want to give away a, a 50 metre penalty. Now, when I stood on the mark, um, and 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 stood there like you do when you're standing on the mark, I couldn't hear the umpire's call. I think I encroached oh, he on the mark by back. about a metre yeah. or so. He was blowing his whistle. Um, to call me back, to come yeah. back a few steps um, when you see it on the replay. But I couldn't hear because of the members. They were making quite a racket there, obviously, forcing their displeasure about the free kick. And instead of coming over to me or, or getting my attention, he, um, yeah, then I did hear the whistle and next thing he's sort of bowed his arm and given away a 50-metre penalty and... You know, you're having a good day and you don't want to uh, sort of get cussed by an, indis- uh, an undisciplined sort of act. And I just ran. I just made a beeline for him and I, yeah, I called him every expletive under the sun, I think. But he gave it straight back to me. Yeah, you know, it looked like it. Uh, <laughs> He, he gave as, as good as he got, but then he sort of, he sort of pulled the policeman slash umpire badge out and uh, sort of said, one more word and be reported. And, and he did. Of course, I had, to, I had to give him another word. So um, I think I said something um, bad about his mother. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and then he, he, he said something bad about my mother. <laughs> so... Um, you know, and then he ended up recording me, and yeah, it was just a seven hundred and fifty dollars fine at the tribunal, so it wasn't too too bad. But yeah, that was the uh, you could say that was the hamburger with the lock, that sort of game. But uh, it was, it was memorable, and it was a lot of fun. Do you, Do you know if you got votes in in that game? Because in the replay I was watching, they were talking about perhaps you wouldn't be able to be eligible for votes because you got reported. Um, no, no, Jimmy. No, had a great I think game. you got the votes. No, I'm pretty sure I got three Brownlow votes. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure about that. I don't know. I think I might have got eleven or twelve votes that uh, yeah. that, that particular year, and I didn't get that many. So I can remember the ones <laughs> I got. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you also talked to the crowd over the fence that after. Well, it wasn't so much the crowd as your girlfriend. Um, it was reported at the time. Um, is that something you did most weeks? <laughs> no, mate. No, that's that's just another media, a media, media beat up there. I think, but uh, but look, they don't miss a thing. And uh, look, because of my um, uh, extensive travels, if you like, Darwin, Adelaide, originally coming from Perth. Uh, Port Hedland. I used to have a lot of friends that sort of uh, <clears throat> used to be coming through, and I'd get them a couple of tickets, and I sort of knew where they were sitting. And yeah, you know, if uh, things were going good, uh, like that particular day, yeah, you'd turn around and give them a bit of a thumbs up, or you know, they're there cheering for you, having a great day, getting on the grog, while you're sweating your ass out, 
<laughs> doing it tough out there. So, you know, I used to give them a bit of a thumbs up or something like that. But as far as a girlfriend and blowing kisses and all this sort of rubbish, I mean, that's that's something only a, only a, a dickhead like Mike Sheen could come up with, you know. So, you know. We, we might come back to that issue later too. <laughs> so you mentioned um, you, you played on Mickey Martin that day. Um, besides Mickey, you mentioned he, he was a great uh, fullback. Uh, who was your toughest opponent that you ever played on? <clears throat> yeah, look, I, I don't know about toughest, really. I, I sort of, and don't take this the wrong way, but I sort of kicked goals on all of them, you know. Um, and I respected all of them. Uh, but I, I was hard to match up on. Yeah. I mean, if you put somebody, uh, a smaller type, that had the pace that could keep up, well, then I'd use my strength and do a bit more hustle and bustling. You know, yeah. and if they put your, your big man on me, someone like a Danny Frawley, for instance, I mean, he was great to play against because, um, yeah... He was just you slow. Just run around him, and um, yeah, I don't know if he knew what was going on. But um, a couple of times I played on old Danny Frawley. Yeah, it was always it was always a good time for a bag there. That's for sure. So, um, but look, I you've got to respect all of them. Um, um, uh, Chris Langford. For someone of his size, he was very mobile, yeah. very quick. He had long arms, and just when you thought you had a break on him, uh, this fist would come out of nowhere, sort of collect half side of your head at the same time too. And uh, and he kept you honest. Uh, Stephen Silvani was another a great player. He wasn't overly skilled. Um, um, he, he, he was very awkward. There were legs and arms yeah. everywhere when Sauce was about. But I mean, what a great player! What a great career! And um, you know, have you ever heard of a full back that uh, a coach could just swap to full forward, and he goes and kicks ten? You know, mm. and, I, and I mean, he comes from good pedigree, like his old man. Uh, it was a pretty good player, they tell me, in his day, and. Um, and I think the, the young fellow's going to be all right too when he sort of uh, breaks out of his shell. I mean, uh, yeah, it comes from good pedigree, obviously. Yeah. Um, so Sauce was all right. Um, but a, a couple of others as well. Um, uh, Mel Michael. Mel Michael was only young when I come across him, and I might have kicked a few on him, but, geez, um Again, you could see that this bloke was going to have a, a great career. He, he just had pace. He had strength. He had a bit of mongrel in him. He had everything. And I really, you know, uh, you know, here's a guy that went on and played, you know, close to 300 games and yep. played in a few premierships up there at Brisbane. Was a great player. And also Mark Zanotti. Do you remember Mark Zanotti? Yep, yep. Played with Fitzroy and uh, Brisbane. I think he also had a stint with the Eagles yeah. there early days. Yeah, Mark Zanotti had it all too. He, he he was strong. He had a few screws loose in his head, which I could sort of relate to. Um, so, yeah, he was pretty good old Zanotti, that's for sure. So uh, a few weeks later after... Um 
after that North game. Uh, we are playing an elimination final against Essendon. Um, you had only kicked one goal in the first half and we were down by a few at half time. Uh, but you turned it on after the last break. You kicked seven, uh, including a celebratory long one after the siren. Um, that kind of day wasn't unusual for you, was it, where you're quiet in the first part of the game and then you sort of let loose and wreak havoc in the, in the second half? Yeah, that was a funny game. That was uh, it was really windy out at Waverley that, that day. Yep. Um, I, uh, I remember... I remember, you know, presenting myself, leading as well as I could, and there were a couple of times there where the delivery wasn't the best. But, I mean, I didn't whinge about that because when the ball was on the ground, I didn't mind. I could scoop it up pretty quick and turn on either side pretty quickly and snap goals. But um, I just remember the ball just bouncing the wrong way a couple of times, you know, and... I was glad I got that goal just before half-time because I think that sort of helped just... Um, uh, I suppose as a forward, when you're sitting there and you've got nothing to show for half a game of footy, uh, you're starting to think about the pine bench, you know, and, and, and being dragged. And, um, I mean, that's the last thing you want to do because once you're dragged, you, you, your day's sort of done. Um, your confidence has shot the bits. And, um, yeah, I, I, I remember sort of chalking that goal up and then sort of looking at Swooper in the eyes at half time. And he, 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 he sort of looked at me and, and put me on the spot and he says, Are you right? You know, how are you travelling? And I said to him, I'm fine, mate. I'm feeling great. It's just the ball's bouncing the wrong way. There's shit happening out there that I just can't win a trick, you know. Yep. And, uh, yeah, well, Swooper persisted with me there. And, um, yeah, well, um, I, I suppose you can't keep having that sort of bad luck for the whole game. And, and then a few things changed. And, um, yeah, it was a it was a funny day. I, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I've never told anyone this before, but... Um, if you remember at the time, I remember waking up that day and preparing myself to go to out the Waverley that day, and I, I I took the wrong turn, and I was heading instead of going down the Eastern Freeway, I was heading sort of towards Box Hill, and I remember sort of getting getting uh, into the chain rooms probably about ten minutes before the team meeting before we should have been there. And I remember John Norley and Gary Lyon looking at me as if to say, where the hell have you been, you know? Yeah. And I'd say, so the day didn't start off too good, but I remember that morning, and uh, I don't know if you boys would remember, but Jimmy Connors was making a bit of a run in the, um, I think it might have been the US Open, but I think the US Open's later on in the year. But um, I don't know, he'd... he'd, he'd uh, uh, you know, he was a bit of a an old man at that stage, and I just remember him uh, um, scoring these incredible shots and beating his opponent that day. I think it might have been the quarters or the semi-final of some sort of Grand Slam. I'm not too sure when it was. Now I'm trying to marry it up with what time of the year it is because yeah, it yeah, says. U.S. Uh, Open's late in the year, but I watched him sort of doing these finger sort of movements. That pumping his 
<laughs> fingers. And it, it, it inspired me. I, I watched this bloke, and you know, I grew up watching Connors and uh, McEnroe and this sort of stuff, and there was this great underdog. I think he might have been playing McEnroe that day or, or uh, Ivan Lendl or someone like that, and they made a big deal of it. And, um, yeah, if you watch that last goal after the siren, there was a little bit of Jimmy Connors there. Sort of right. with the celebration. Yeah, it wasn't you know premeditated or anything like that. It just came out, you know. So yeah, so it was a good day. It was always good to beat Sheedy's boys, that's for sure. And uh, and sent them packing. That was an elimination final, I think. So uh, they went home yeah. and uh, yeah. You talked about being the, dragged um, just before. Um, I do remember a game, uh, it, it was uh, in the following year or the year after at Victoria Park, where you were dragged um, in the first half, uh, after a very quiet first half, uh, but then you came back on and kicked a bag in the second, um, helping Melbourne to a close win. Um, yeah, well, look, any game against Collingwood, mate, you just had to get up. You just had to. I mean, you know, it's a long week in football. You know, every every... Every second bastard that you run into is a Collingwood supporter. And um, um, in all walks of life, whether it's the media or... They just seem to all barrack for Collingwood, you know. And uh, it's a long week when you get beaten by Collingwood. Uh, there's a lot of rivalry there, as you know. But, yeah, I remember the day very well. I, I think I kicked the first goal of the game and I was up and about. And then Gary Pert uh, sort of run off me and I followed him to about the, the centre circle. That's as far as I'd ever go, I think. <laughs> and uh, look, they kicked it sideways. They kicked it backwards and sideways to find him. And then all of a sudden, Gary Pert's having a shot for goal, 35 out directly in front. And I'm standing back at full forward by myself. And... Um, yeah, the energy, the energy when that runner ran out to me. I mean, the Collingwood, <laughs> the, the Collingwood folk were giving it to me really good after that, like reminding me that I might have kicked the goal, but your your, your opponents kicked one too. You, you such and such, and they had some great expletives there that they used to come out with. It really make you laugh. But um, watching that runner come to, to towards me. Uh, the energy at that at that ground that day, and and the build up of, of the noise until they saw that runner's finger point towards me and say, "Come with me, you're off." And uh, as soon as they saw that, they just screamed. And and uh, yeah, sitting on that bench wasn't a good feeling. Um, sitting in those old sheds, um, the amount of noise and the punching into that shed was just incredible. I'll, I'll never forget that. But um, again, it was me against the rest of the world. And, um, you know, I, I knew I had to go out there. And I, I distinctly remember after the game, uh, good old Jimmy Steins and Gary Lyon uh, pulling me aside because I really wanted to wave to every one of them when I left that ground that day, especially after winning and, and kicking nine or ten or whatever I ended up with that day. Um, I wanted to tell everyone, one of them about it, but uh, yeah, I think cooler heads prevailed there with with uh, Gaz and Jimmy, and sort of pulled me aside and said, "Look, mate, I've got long memories. Let it go. 
let's go and have a shower and <laughs> and uh, call it a day. Eh? So as they were sort of dragging me off, I still sort of turned around and give them a wave. And uh, yeah, they were they were quite frightening that day. That's for sure. So, it seems it was even tough having a shower. Because yeah, I could hear them outside waiting for me, <laughs> and uh, they didn't like that very much. And I think old Noel McMahon, old Noel McMahon, that day, I think uh, thought it might be a good idea that I got a police escort out of there. So <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of policemen came in after I showered up and put me straight in the back of a divvy van, and uh, I think they drove me around the block a few times until. Um, they, they subsided a bit and uh, took me to my car, and then from there we went back to the uh, wherever the function was. So quite an eventful day, but always good to kick goals and and, and especially beat Collingwood. It's um, you, you were lucky you got to play in the time of those suburban fortresses. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's that's disappeared from the modern game. Uh, all of that, you know, we just play at the G and uh, Eddie Head Stadium. It's a uh, it's all very uh, clinical these days. You don't get the, the colourful stuff of suburban grounds. <laughs> yeah, and beautiful grounds too. When you look at the, 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 like a billiard table, a lot of them now, and I remember a lot of times playing at some of those suburban grounds, and although they were nostalgic, and, um, you know, I look back at them with fond memories because that was an end of an era, you could have said, but um, it was always hard when you're having a set shot for goal um, sort of having to deviate around all the patches and you know if I was you know uh, predominantly I was a right footer for goal even though sometimes I used to line up with me left depending on what the wind was doing and all sorts of things like that but um, before I'd kick with my right foot yeah, I had to make sure that my left foot landed on a nice patch of grass you know so because if you sort of went through your run-up and 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 just as you're about to kick with your right foot and you land your left foot on that particular mark, if it was muddy, it would just slip under your feet so that all that ground would move. So you had to find that, that green patch of grass to land your foot on before you kicked. And uh, that, that made it a lot, lot more interesting, that's for sure. But, yeah, when I look, when I, when I sit down and, and watch a bit of a game at Eddie Head or... Uh, even the G, the G was always well well uh, presented. Um, although if they had concerts and things like that, they had a bit of shifting yeah. shifting soil sort of, which sort of uh, uh, wasn't much fun. But uh, incredibly, our Junction Oval where we used to train, and I don't know if the uh, the Vic cricket team still play there, but that was that was just uh, I think the greatest curator that ever that ever was a cur- curator. Uh, looked after that ground, and uh, yeah, that was beautiful ground to train on. It was just a, a shame we didn't play on more grounds like the Junction Oval because, um, I mean, that's where Fred Fanning kicked his famous 18 that yep. day. Yep. And uh, what a beautiful ground to do it on. Yeah, absolutely, the old Junction Oval for sure. Yeah, I used to love going down there at finals time. Uh, there was always great atmosphere, uh, you know, with hundreds of thousands of people uh, coming flocking down there. It was very great day. Well, watching the boys train and yep, that. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, it was. Yeah. So yeah. 
you, you finished uh, 1991 with 71 goals from 14 games, another 60 in the resis, uh, giving you 131 uh, in total for the year. That That's just an, um, an amazing effort. Um, you know, you must I suppose have... when you look back at it, it was. It was a, it was a pretty big year. Um, and um, I just got reminded not long ago how many points I kicked that yeah. year. So I was a bit <laughs> We're going to bring that up. That. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit astounded with that conversion rate. I really was. But, you know, um, I suppose I used to get the ball a lot. Um, and um, having that ability to sort of turn either way um, and then being sort of deep into attack, it was probably like the last line. You know, you didn't get many blokes running past you or creating any much more space. So, um, you know, you had to find your own space. And then once you got the ball, well, you had to sort of uh, get rid of it pretty quick. And if you got one of those famous helicopter kicks from Todd Viney, <laughs> <laughs> great player, but didn't have the greatest no. kick in the world. Nope. Um, you know, and um, but I didn't mind as long as it came in my direction. Um, you know, you pick it up and just try your best and have a snap. Um, try and sort of try and put some sort of numbers on the board for sure. Um, you sort of preempted the next question in that. Um, a feature of your play was kicking large halls of points alongside the large halls of goals. Um, the 11-9 against North, I think there was an afternoon against Hawthorne when you kicked four goals, 10. Um, but if you were hard up against the boundary line, um, uh, you were almost a certain bet to kick it. Um, how do you sort of explain those fluctuations in accuracy? Yeah, I can't explain that, Mark. Go figure. No. <laughs> I suppose that's a $60 million question, isn't it? But, yeah, it is. It is. Um, But I I distinctly remember that game uh, against Hawthorne, and it was really windy. It was always windy out at Waverley. It was a shocking place to play footy, really. It was was an nostalgic ground, and it, it, um, it, it, it felt right, but there was a lot of swirling sort of breeze, and it was hard to pick which way it was going, um, and I remember that day, it was just terrible. It was, sometimes it was just like, oh, look, just kick straight for them and forget about what the wind's doing and trying to allow for the wind, just, you know, kick it, stab it hard. And, um, you know, you, you'd kick different sort of trajectories if you like. You know, if you kick the ball high, um, you know, clearing the post by a long way or kicking it as high as the post, um, the ball could uh, get lost, you know. Uh, you'd lose that drop punt sort of spin on it, um, and then it could go either way. But yeah. you know, sometimes you had to, even that game against Essendon, had it, uh, yeah, that was out at Waverley that day. There was a few there that you had to stab and sort of make sure that the goal, that the ball travelled under the post or under the top of the post, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And that means it didn't sort of get lost because the higher you went up, uh, the more chance that it would just, you know, catch the wind one way and just start cutting and deviating away, a bit like a, a poor golf shot, you know, it would yeah. fade. Or, um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit tricky. Um I would have loved to play that Eddie had under that roof. Yeah. Um, geez, I suppose you'd have no excuses um, with that sort of atmosphere and um, 
I don't think there'd be much wind um, under that roof. So, you know, but um, yeah, but definitely, definitely kicked too many points. That's for sure. <laughs> well, you had in 91, you had 128 shots on goal. Uh, in those 14 games, uh, you know, that's that's just incredible. Yeah, I suppose when you look at it like that, that's a lot of chances. And, um, you know, I, I, I did sort of look... I, I wasn't big on stats, yeah. I suppose, other than how many goals I had next to my name, um, which which just sort of dictated whether I played well or whether I didn't. Uh, today's game's a bit different. Um, you look at some of the, 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 the forwards that that, um, that really produce pressure. It's just phenomenal how hard they fight to keep it in. Um, I don't think we were as desperate when we played. Um, but, um, yeah... Well, if you uh, if you don't like stats, um, well, I don't think you'll mind uh, this one. But that day you play, you kicked eleven nine against North. You had twenty three kicks, fifteen. Uh, I, I can't remember what it was, but the one stat that uh, stood out was the handball stats, and uh, that was a big, I would have big had fat, eleven that day. That was, that was a big fat zero of handballs. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, I've always, I've always said, no, I've always said, Jace, you can't handle goals. You know? <laughs> so, but look, look, um, yeah, lots of people said about that over the years and the lack of handles. But um, I don't think I was a greedy player. No. If, if you look back at some of them, um, if, if there was um, a player sort of lurking out, out the back of the square, and I was sort of beyond fifty or something. Um, yeah, I've seen a few replays where I've actually passed the ball. I actually passed once to Rod Grinter there when I was on nine, so I don't think I've ever done that before. But, <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? That is uh, a selfless act, absolutely. You don't get too many full forwards that have got nine under their belt and then they uh, sort of go and give their tenth off or, or what, what could have been your tenth goal. But, um, no, look, you know, if, if there was a player in a better position, you had to give it to him. And um, that's what you had to do, for sure. And bring um, other players into the game, too, you know. It's, it's not a, a one-man sort of show. And you do look at other players. And I remember Rod Grinder sort of being in and out of the reserves here. And I just think to remember that day and thinking, oh, yeah, if there he is by himself, I've got to give it to him and... And he didn't let me down. He put it through, and I made sure I let him know that he owed me one. So <laughs> if I did give it, if I did give it away, I, I, I was quick to go down and congratulate him. But I sort of said, "Hey, you got to give me one." Yeah, back. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, an incident that still gets brought up to this day, um, and that was when you kissed uh, Glenn um, uh, on the ground. He said later he was going to deck you. That, that your mum was watching that day. Um, is that oh, true? No. And how, how no. did he react? No, no. <laughs> um, it was a special day. We did used to fly mum out every one of them Eagles games. And, of course, she was already in Perth when we used to play the Eagles over there. Yep. But uh, she was proud as punch. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, look, I, I think if you... 
the, the Glen that I played with in the backyard uh, would appreciate that. Um, also, the Glen in the backyard wouldn't have ever had a crack at me because he would have ended up on his back. <laughs> right. And that goes without saying. So I think that would have been in the back of his head too. But um, but no, I, I think I think where there is a little bit, uh, Glenn uh, personally wouldn't have taken that to heart. But as far as uh, Glenn, the, the the West Coast Eagle team player, I think they. Um, they didn't like that for the fact that they were the reigning premiers and here we were sort of running over the top of them in the last quarter, you know, running around kissing them. And I, I think that bit of pride as far as the Eagles had, I think that might have been dented a little bit. So there might have been a, a reaction like that, but, um, you know, only clowns like um, a Mike Sheen would, would, you know, bring that up and try and cause some problems there. Um, did he do that, did he, with that situation? Sorry? Did he do that? Did Mike do that with that situation? Did he, did he try <laughs> to so. drive it as I a wedge so. between you two? Or? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I believe that. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, it's water off a duck's back as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we both look back at it with fond memories. Um, and uh, it was a special day. Uh, and Glenn, when we played the Eagles, when the Eagles came over, Glenn never flew, flew back with the team. I think the Eagles used to fly back pretty much straight after the game on a Saturday afternoon. And they sort of used to get back into Perth at 10 o'clock at night or whatever. And and uh that commenced their week from there, if you like. But, but Glenn used to stay an extra couple of days and not fly back till the Monday. Yeah. And, and of course, I've been over there as well. Um, yeah, and it was a, uh, it was one of my better days, um, you know, beaten. And none of that was, none of that was, um, how could I say, um, uh, predetermined, you know what I mean? Um I, I never set out to do that. It was just a spare of the moment thing. Um, oh, if you like, um, I couldn't tell you what Glenn was doing on the mark or what he was saying, but if you ever watched that movie, The Exorcist, when that young girl's possessed on the bed, yep. and she's um, saying all sorts of things to the priest that's trying to exercise her, if you like, yep. well, yeah, I, I frighten her. Hell out of Glenn when he was younger <laughs> with that movie. I think uh, I introduced him to that movie and uh, he had to sleep for at least three months with the light on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and anyway, uh, it used to be a bit of a running gag. Um, oh, we, we, we grew up as Catholics, not not really staunch, but you know, sort of from our background and um, I, I think we saw the funny side in what that little girl had to say to the priest that day. And uh, I think my first shot there, we were three points behind. Glenn was standing on the mark, um, saying all these things, like from The Exorcist. And uh, then uh, I, I missed, I kicked a point, and I think that brought us back to 
three points behind. That was about the 20-odd minute mark of the last quarter. might have been the 23-minute mark of the last quarter. I remember Johnny Walsall kicking the ball out. It might have been Guy McKenna. Uh, one of the two went to kick it over my head and sort of stabbed at it a bit. And before I knew it, the ball was back in my hands in that exact same spot. And Glenn had peeled off, I think, the chase. Um, might have been Earl Spalding, I think, that was running off or chasing him. And then as soon as he'd seen the ball back in my hands, Glenn ran back and took over the mark. I think it might have been um, Guy McKenna was standing on the mark and Glenn said, no, no, you stand aside, let me stand on the mark. And then he started with the exorcist again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yelling out these expletives, and uh, if you if you closely look on the on the replay, you can see Jimmy Steins with his hands on his hips, and um, he was really looking at what Glenn was saying, and just shaking his head. He walks away shaking his head. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I don't know how that ball found the middle of my boot. And consequently went through the middle of the goals and that sort of uh, drew us in front. We were three points up then. I think uh, I got another free kick straight after that. The ball came straight back down. I think uh, the umpire played it on. I think Andy Lovell or someone like that ran into an open goal. And that was the last score of the game. Um, but, yeah, after kicking that goal, uh, I think it was something that was, yeah, that was the word I was looking for before, premeditated. It wasn't premeditated. It was just a spare of, of the moment thing. And I think I said something else like what the priest might have said to the young girl <laughs> in that movie and planted one. And um, that was it. But the, the funniest thing about that was after the game, um, I remember doing a bit of media and press after that straight away and, you know, there was this radio station and that radio station and whatnot and, and it held me up a bit and, and Jimmy Steins being the consummate professional that he was, he used to have ice baths and hot showers and then back in the ice bath and doing all sorts of it. This, this is the way this, this guy used to, you know, go about his footy. Yeah. And I remember him walking up to me and uh, just in that rich Irish accent, just saying, what the hell was your brother saying to you, mate? <laughs> what the hell was that shit? What what sort of family are you? I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I think a little bit of wee might have came out in my cow. And I was hunched over and I couldn't even look at him. I couldn't speak to him and I couldn't, I couldn't even breathe. I was laughing that hard. But Jimmy was pretty serious. And he started reciting some of that exorcist, if you like, and uh, saying, what is this all about? How, how did your parents raise you, <laughs> you, you know, and saying this sort of stuff. So it was quite funny. And, um, yeah, and it all ended in tears, if you like, because um, um, I remember getting through the hustle and bustle there at the G and um, making sure I went over and linked up with Glenn. I got him. He was ready. Uh, we found Mum, and off we went through the crowd. And um, I used to live—I was living over in Williamstown at that time. And um, 
I remember driving through the city and mum was sitting in the front seat next to me. I was driving, Glenn was in the back seat and um, we laughed. We laughed all the way until um, until things went pretty quiet. And I mean, I was concentrating on the traffic and and um, obviously had me attention diverted to that. And I sort of thought it's a bit quiet. And I looked up and, and there was mum just sort of bawling her eyes out quietly, you know. And I, I think, you know, we all thought about dad at that time. And, um, yeah, I, I looked in the rouge mirror and there was Glenn bawling his eyes out, you know. So not another word was said uh, for that last three or four kilometres. We all, we all had tears sort of rolling down our face. And, um, yeah, what a great day. And um, that's, that's, that's how that day finished for us. So we went back to my house and, and uh, continued to have a bit of a laugh about the day. And we didn't say too much as far as what the tears were all about. But yeah. we, all, we all knew it was for Dad. And, and um, yeah, it was just one of those things. Thanks. You must be able to empathise uh, then with uh, Jesse Hogan, who uh, lost his father um, during the year, uh, also a West Australian boy living on the other side of the country. Um, I suppose you could uh, you could relate to that situation that he's faced this absolutely, year. Absolutely, absolutely. And then to get that double whammy, uh, the poor bugger, and um, and uh, be diagnosed with that testicular cancer. But I've got a very good friend of mine um, over here in New South Wales that's been through the same sort of thing, and I think they get it early, and which, um, uh, not knowing too much about it, but what I've read, that um, I think he'll fully recover. I mean, he, he played not long after that, and I yep. suppose there's good doctors and medicine around here, uh, around these days, and I'm sure they'll keep an eye on that. And, um, yeah, I feel for... For young Jess, I hope that um, you know he just runs out there and remembers his old man every time he does, and, and that, that'll help. It's sort of cathartic, you know. And, and mine was wearing a black armband, just like I said before, just randomly sometimes. And like I said, I had to fib about it and say it was a an old mate in Darwin or a mate in South Australia, or you know. But it wasn't. It was for me dad and. And that helped me. That was cathartic. That that helped me get through that, you know. Yeah, well, so yeah, I just hope that Jesse has got a lot of support there. I think he's, you know, um, even if he's got to jump on a plane every now and then. I don't know if his mum's still in the picture or anything like that. But um, well, I found that helped too. When I could, I I'd get back to Perth and just you know surprise mum sometimes, not tell her. Yep. Um, you know, and uh, just rock in through the door and spend the weekend. And, um, and and I think your family is the best thing that you need at times like that. I think that's that's the most important. So I hope Jesse doesn't end up going back there permanently like I've heard a few stories. And I hope Melbourne can retain him for a long time because um, he's going to be pivotal to their success in years to come, I hope. So... Yeah, I just hope he's got that good support around him and he can get through all that. 
Yes, we, we do too. Um, thanks for that story about uh, the whole story with Glenn and uh, the exorcist. It, it certainly adds a, a new dimension to that uh, chapter, and I'm going to have to go yeah. and rewatch that game and the exorcist uh, this weekend just to, uh, just, just to see it all. Uh, yeah, yeah, it all yeah, you, yeah, I'm pretty sure you could uh, lip sync lip, lip it if you really have a look at Glenn and what he's saying on the mark. And then uh, pop in the old Exorcist uh, DVD, and and you'll match them up. Hopefully, you'll match them up. So. Hopefully, the crappy quality YouTube videos allow um, allow me to see the uh, movement of the lips. Uh, some of those old uh, yeah. old tapes aren't uh, the best to watch. The, 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 the funniest thing out of that, Jace, is watching Jimmy Steins' reaction. That's that's the funniest because he starts yeah. shaking his head and uh, walking away, and he just can't believe what he's hearing. And then to confront him in them chain rooms after that game, like I said, I couldn't talk and yeah, I could say that I, a little bit of wee come through the towel, that's for sure. <laughs> so, uh, Alan, you, uh, you struggled uh, with injury during your short career. You had uh, groin surgery fairly early on um, and then the well-known issues with your back. Uh, do you ever think about what might have been, um, if not for the injuries, um, and is that what ultimately uh, forced you out of the game? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, you can't... You've got to get on with life. Um, you can't... You know, the old saying, you can't cry over spilt milk um, and, and think, poor me, and look at me. I mean, you only have to look at someone like... A, every, everybody gets injuries. Um, some are more serious than others. Uh, no one went through it more than a young David Schwartz. Yep. Uh, that was tragic what happened to him because, you know, I played I played against Wayne Carey and I played pretty close um, and was pretty close with, with uh, young David at that time and just, just seeing what he could do and the way he could jump on people's heads and he had that little bit of Carl Dietrich about him, if you like. Um you know, where he, he took no prisoners. He really didn't. And, um, you know, it was a testament to him. I, I couldn't believe that that guy uh, virtually went on to, well, nearly captain the club, if you like. You know, he sort of was a bit of a co-leader there with David Neitz. Um, and to go on and play 250-plus games, um, unfortunately played in the losing grand final, it was never the same again. Yeah, never. But testament to him how he how he came back. I mean, I never had serious knee injuries or anything like that. Um, I know a lot of it's mental in your head, thinking, you know, can I? Is it going to pop again? Is it going to go again? Um, but yeah, with mine in the back, um, I had a protruding disc, which led to uh, an operation. Um, which also led to a few other bulges that were pressing against some vital nerves there in the back. And uh, very frustrating. I mean, when you think you're up and about and, and you're going all right and you're over it, um, you know, you, you're sitting there or or you bend over to do your boots up before training and bang, it pops again. And, um, you know, you get up and all of a sudden you, you feel like a, 95-year-old man, you know, there was a, a famous time there out at uh, the Witten Oval where, um, yeah, I had my bag on the back seat, I grabbed my bag, I turned, I grabbed my bag, I noticed my uh, back passenger door was unlocked, 
So I sort of leant over to sort of pop the uh, button, if you like, and then just bang, I got out of the car and it took me about 35 minutes to walk uh, 300 metres to the chain rooms. You know, I walked into the chain rooms when they looked at me. They couldn't believe what they were saying, but um, I just about needed assistance, sort of, and um, and that's how the that's how the back goes, unfortunately. You know, um, um, yeah. I, when I look back, I wish I had have worked harder to strengthen my core, and 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 for that fact, worked harder when I was injured. But um, yeah, I used to get down on myself a bit probably and um and didn't work as hard to get back i think when i trained i, I trained hard contrary to what some some people might think or want to say or it's a better story to say that you know i wasn't a great trainer but that's not true if i was um you know feeling great uh, you had to train and um I, I i was fortunate enough to be coached by uh, russell ebert in South Australia, probably one of the best sentiment I've ever seen. If you, yep. if any of the fans out there, um, um, yeah, um, get hold of YouTube and and type in Russell Ebert and see some of the games he played in the seventies and the eighties there for Port Adelaide, just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And um, he, he taught me some good things. I remember him once sort of looking at me boots, saying, "Why is that one laced up different to that one?" They've both got to be the same. Um, you know, you train, you play how you train. And he sort of taught me a little game, um, being that trying when, when you when you when you go out to train, you know, there's not much pressure on. You know, you haven't got um, uh, pressure like in a game, if you like. Um, and, and you work on your skills and you run and and do all these different sort of drills. And uh, he, he sort of used to say to me, try and get through the whole session without making one mistake. Now, I don't think I ever did it. It's a pretty hard thing to do, um, you know, because you, you're catching the ball and kicking the ball probably 50, 60 times more than you would in a game. So it helped you sort of concentrate and and and, and, and try and train as well as you could. Um, I think a pre-season is the most important thing in a footballer's life. Um, coming down from Darwin, I was pretty fit. Uh, but that first pre-season in, uh, in early 91 was the hardest I've ever had to train in my life. And uh, that paid dividends, you know, later on in the year when I was jumping out of the ground. Um, yeah. That's all. I put all that down to a, a good pre-season. And then after that, I had, when I had the issues with the groin, and also the back, I had interrupted pre-seasons. You know, I could have come back from some breaks in better shape than I did. Um, you know, but yeah, what can you say? You mentioned um, uh, you mentioned playing alongside David Schwartz. Uh, in addition to well, and particularly the Schwartz of 1994, you played alongside Gary Lyon, David Neitz. Uh, Sean Charles, did that team underachieve, or did injury uh, to you and to um, and to the others cruel our chances of winning a flag during that period? Do you think? 
Yeah, I think a bit of both, mate. I think we did underachieve. Um, and, you know, um, um, I mean, Gary had a few injuries there. Um, yep. I, I think Nita was the only one that was sort of pretty injury-free out of all that lot. And Stones. Sorry? And Jimmy Stones had a pretty good run with uh, n- not getting injuries as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't know, Jimmy Jimmy used to do some strange things as far as his uh, recovery and and uh, all that was concerned, but uh, he, he sort of found his own niche there. Um, oh, there were a couple of times I think Jimmy um, shouldn't have played. Um, you know, his ankle was swollen like a balloon. And I remember we had Doily in the reserves. And um, I think if I could be a little bit honest and critical, um, yeah, Jimmy could have forgotten about that uh that uh, consecutive games record, and um, and maybe stepped down a couple of times there, but I mean you can't question the man's endeavour and his application, his preparation was was just something to behold. It really was, and how can you deny someone that wants to play that bad? You know, mm. so you know, um, yeah, and uh, I think that might have been later. I think might, might have, that might have been in 92 or whatever, but 91, I mean, that's the year he won the Brownlow medal and that's probably the greatest story ever yeah. in the history of our game. You know, for a, you know, you, you know, you, you, these days you can't be a 17, 18-year-old kid, I think, and, and even back in our day, and Jim was the only exception, might I add, but you can't just decide you want to play AFL footy and then go and make a career out of it. I mean, this is something you've got to do at a very young age. And mm. it's, it's got to be burning inside you. You've got to have that want and that love for the game to play. And, you know, for a guy to come over here at, what was he, 18, 19 years of age, never really kicked an AFL footy before. Um, and, you know, to play a year like he did, and I remember that, that year really well. Um, and, and some of the work he used to do on the half-back line, just dropping a kick behind the play. And, and some of the marks just constantly presenting himself, constantly you know, saving us in that second-last line of defence, if you like. And there were many a games where I looked and I thought, geez, if we didn't have Steins, either we would have lost if we won, and if we did lose... Uh, we probably would have lost by, you know, 10 or 15 goals as opposed to losing by two or three because of Jimmy's work. Um, just tireless. And, um, yeah, but uh, a little bit before his time, I mean, I mean, Jimmy would have been really suited to the game today, I think, um, because you need that endurance. And yeah. I think, you know, when you look at some of the guys he come up against, let's say a Monkhurst, at Collingwood or something like that, even though he was a giant of a man and slapped me around a couple of times, might I add. But, you know, you, you never saw him, or for that fact, even a Paul Salmon, if you like, you know, changing in the ruck, playing for Essendon there. Uh, you never saw them 
put in as many you know miles as Jimmy did. But um, he had that athletic, that middle distance sort of um, grounding behind him, if you like, which put him in real good stead for our game. His skills were at times were a little bit wanting, um, but look, he made up with that. He, he made up for that. He could get away with that. And like I said, you know, you, you'll never see a kid do that again. Oh, and I don't care where you come from, whether you, you you grew up in Australia or you come from Europe or America. Um, yeah, there's very few that can sort of come and play at this level. That's for sure. Without that 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 solid grounding that you get, which starts when you're basically six or eight years of age, if you like, you know. Yeah. Yep. And in terms of uh, uh, our chances of winning a flag during that period, uh, what are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, well, like I said, I, I think you know that you know that the, the infamous day when I kissed my brother or something in '93. Um, I think the Eagles probably um, were the best side of the year, but the worst side in the finals yeah. and uh, they got knocked out and I think Essendon might have won that year and um, you know they obviously won um, uh, 92 and 94 and I really do believe that we had a, a team that could match them on any given day when you look at the Vineys um, who was just one of the toughest blokes I've ever seen you know and, and mentally tough too he wasn't yeah, he, he wasn't all bravado and bullshit. You know, he just was hard at the ball and, and tough. And Andrew Obst, Andrew Obst, I think one of the most un, underrated footballers. Um, but playing next to him, they reckon Michael Aish was a, a, a great footballer, another South Australian. I think his son gets around playing these days yep. too. Yep. Um, but... You know, I'd put him in the same category as a as, a, as an ace, if you like. He was just so clinical, so clean. Um, didn't worry about any BS. You know, it was just get the ball. And he had some silky skills. And, jeez, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer uh, leading to Hobber. Um, uh, in front of Viney any day, <laughs> any day. But anyone could probably tell you that. But yeah, and and you know, looking back at what might have been, I would have loved to played at full forward and the Wiz playing next to me. Yeah, I think the Wiz, the Wiz turned up just after me. But could you imagine um, uh, myself, the Wiz, maybe a David Neitz, and then across the half forward line, you've got. Uh, Schwarter at centre forward, Andrew Ops on one flank, Gary Lyon on the other flank, and, and Gary was a great utility. He could play, he could play centre half back. I think he was a bit small and not strong enough to hold down centre half forward. I think he sort of struggled a bit uh, there. Uh, although he had great skills and he led well, um, I think he lacked a little bit of strength there. But yeah. I mean, imagine having a David, a fully fit David Schwartz at centre forward, and 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 Gary and Oba on on either side. I mean, I mean that 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 forward line would would come against up against. Well, you know, if you look at the Sumiches and the Brett Hetties and some of these great players for the West Coast Eagles. I mean, um, you know, 
if we were all 25 years of age again and we were to play this weekend, um, I'd still think we'd be a, a good chance to beat them, you know. Yeah, farm alongside Djakovic is the stuff of dreams, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I would have loved to play next to the Wiz. I think I ran into him in a nightclub in Perth <laughs> not long after he left Melbourne, and um, I don't know what we said to each other. It was probably about 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but we had a laugh and a bit of a hug and a bit of a joke, and uh, it's probably the only time I've seen him. But, um, Jesus, uh, some of the... Some of the highlights I saw of him standing on blokes' heads. Um, wow, wow, could he play? Jeez. Um, just a, a freak of a small forward. You know, there's another guy that could you'd love to see playing today in today's football. I think he'd tear it up for sure, you know. Well, he's got a young son who's uh, 15 or 16, I think, who um, by all accounts is uh, has got some of the old man's tricks, so we might get to see him right? someday. Well, I haven't heard that before, but I'll be, I'll be keeping a keen eye out for that, that's for sure. Yeah, so uh, Alan, you played under two coaches at the D's, uh, John Northey and Neil Baum, uh, and then Terry Wallace at the Bulldogs. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the different styles and how you responded uh, to those particular styles and personalities? Yeah, um, look, uh, Sweeper Northey was, was an incredible coach. Um, oh, I think another bloke that sort of left, left the scene a, a bit early. Um, I know he sort of went on to Richmond after that and then he, he, he sort of wasn't seen after that but I'd put him in the same mould as a mould house you know uh, just um, don't leave any stones unturned um, his preparation I've never seen a coach uh, and I haven't played under that many but I don't think there were many coaches around that prepared like John Northey used to go home and write everyone a letter um, on what he thought and, you know, he'd come to training uh, Monday at the latest, even Sunday for recovery and there'd be a, a letter in your locker um, with some highlights and points, some mostly positive sort of stuff, you know, but he'd tell you, he'd tell you if you played like a horse's ass, you know. And um, I don't know where, uh, you, you look at Barmy, uh, Barmy's a pretty casual sort of happy-go-lucky sort of guy. I think when he first turned up at the club, I remember Rod Grinder sort of saying to me, I hope he grabs some of these young players and backs them against the locker. And I think we we're all expecting that from Barmy. I think uh, if anybody uh, sees the, uh, what was it, the uh, was it the 70 grand final, Richmond and Carlton? Yeah, he stood knock a few was 72. Yeah, when he was belt, belting people left, right and centre. And, but he, he definitely didn't coach like that, that's for sure. He's quite... Um, you know, calm for a big bloke. He's very calm. And I remember once saying uh, when when he did take over and I thought I was pretty grown up then and mature and, you know, I didn't need a, a ranting um, John Northey, if you like. But I think I got that wrong. I think when I look back, I think I needed a John Northey to, you know, boot me in the ass and, you know, uh, let some split, spit fly out of his mouth when he's talking to you. And uh, you, you really did uh, command. He did really command your attention when he talked to you. That's for sure. And he told you, and you see it pretty close to your face. So you know, two completely 
different sort of um, uh, people with them too. Terry Wallace I didn't have too much to do with. He was probably your new age coach, but a lovely bloke and knew a bit about footy. He knew how to play. And, um, yeah, I suppose he should have won a premiership there with the Bulldogs. Maybe that year that Adelaide sort of steamrolled him uh, that year in the finals. Um, but, um, yeah, I learned a lot from all of them. Um, and, 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 and Russell Ebert, of course. He was a great player, and I think he was always, um, you know, just because you're a great player doesn't mean that transfers into your coaching. And I think he was under a lot of pressure because he was such a great player, Russell Ebert. But oh, I don't know, he, he sort of rang my bell. I don't know. I, I think we, um, I don't know. I think we both knew what the game was about, skill-wise, and and what to do. And he certainly knew a lot about kicking goals and and how to line up. And he was just complete. He was an absolute complete. So um, I would have liked to been coached a bit more, uh, probably by all of them, if you like. There was there was good parts in all of them, that's for sure. But um, but Swooper Norby was special. He was a special coach, that's for sure. Looking back on it now, I think uh, you could put him in the same sort of bracket as a as a, as a uh, knowing Glenn and um, hearing a lot of other players talk about uh, John Norby. Uh, sorry, um, um, Mick Malthouse. Um, I, I think he was a great coach, even though I only got coached with him one 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 state game. But um, state games are a bit different; they're not week in week out. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think he was pretty special and right up there with the um, the Sheedies. I think, if you like, you know. I think Melbourne supporters would agree with you. Um, Darren Bennett was capable of kicking the bag on his day. But if I remember correctly, you two sort of struggled to play well together if you're in the same team, and you didn't often play in the same team. Is that a fair assessment? Am I am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Well, I don't really agree with it because I think there was a day at Sydney where we both kicked a bit of a bag each. I think we might have kicked 13 between us. Yeah. I think I, I, kicked, I think I kicked seven or eight and. Uh, Billy might have kicked five or six, and I gave him a couple that day too. I remember that <laughs> clearly. But um, and that was a small ground, you know. Like uh, it's well known that Sydney's a small sort of ground, so yep. you know you'd think that we wouldn't fit there. But um, I don't know. Billy uh, started to struggle a little bit. I mean, he was probably the greatest kick that I've ever seen of a football. You know him, him, and and surprisingly too, you'd probably be surprised with this one too but Mark Jackson Mark Jackson was one of the greatest kicks I've ever seen and if you look at his conversion rate I think he kicked about 300 or so but you didn't you didn't really see uh, Mark Jackson kick uh, for all his antics and all that sort of stuff forget about that but if you look at his stats uh, and his conversion rate if he had five kicks more often than not he'd kick five goals straight you know, he had a beautiful kick and really knew how to cut the ball and do. And, yeah, I'm surprised someone like him isn't at, at different clubs. Um, if I was a coach, at, at a, I could never imagine being a coach, but if I did have something to do in a coaching department at a footy club, I'd, I'd be I'd be tearing down walls to get that bloke in to teach blokes how to kick because that bloke knew how to kick 
lodging up on earth. And Darren Bennett's leg was just, if you look at some of the photos, some of the still shots of Darren Bennett, you've never yeah, seen they're incredible ball and be so balanced and used to get that leg up real yeah. high. And, I mean, he got everything out of that leg. As we all know, he went on to have quite a great NFL career as a punter, um, a punt kicker, and uh, that's where he really did belong at the end of the day. Um, but, um, you know, before I got there watching Billy, I mean, he used to, you know, comfortably kick the ball outside 50, 60, 65, 70 metres, you know, and just go back like he was kicking it from 35, 40, you know. But um, when I came along, I, I don't know, I think his confidence might have been a bit down. But watching him up close... Um, yeah, it was like he had a beautiful golf swing and then all of a sudden it disappeared. And, you know, he was shanking it um, all over the place there a bit. But, um, yeah, whatever he... He, he was lost, a confidence player, wasn't he? The end, yeah, and whatever he lost in his kicking towards the end of his AFL career, well, shit, he, he, he definitely found it um, with that funny NFL ball because, um, yeah... I think um, he broke some ground there. I don't think any of the Yanks have ever seen a leg like that before. You probably never see one again. Anthony Rocker was um, another great kick, another big kick. Um, also went over into the NFL. But um, yeah, um, I, you know, getting back to the original question, I, I think um, yeah, there were a couple of times there where we combined it well. There were a couple of times there, you know. One might have been injured or the other one or, you know, and, and like you said, he was a bit down on confidence there in the early 90s. But, but he made up for it, that's for sure. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I was, while we are doing some um, research just, just for this interview, um, saw a story um, on the net about you getting your hands on some uh, Puma gear um, uh, from, the, from the sponsors. Uh, unbeknownst to anyone, and the story is that you took those that stuff to kids in a hospital. Is is that story true? Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That's a bit of a funny one. John Forbes, the late John Forbes, a beautiful man. He was that used to run Puna. I had a bit to do with him up in Darwin, and he always said he'd look after me when I came to Melbourne, and uh, which he in turn did. And we signed a little bit of a contract where I, I got about 10 grand's worth of gear every year, which I couldn't believe um, <laughs> I could get that much. And, uh, you know, I'm not um, um, sort of materialistic, if you like. Um, you know, I looked at it and I thought, well, there's no way that uh, I could go through that much clothes in one year. And I remember him distinctly saying, look, uh, what you don't use... Um, that that doesn't run into the next year. So next year <laughs> it starts again at ten thousand. So you can't sort of take your your credits over to the next year if you like. So yeah, look, I used to sit there and go, well, look, I'm not going to, you know, I'll be flat out going through two track suits and a couple of pairs of shorts and a couple of pairs of runners and half a dozen pairs of socks. That'll probably do me, and that probably came to about nine hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. And, um, you know, at that time you used to get a lot of, a lot of mail to go and see young kids in hospital, which, uh, you could never say no to. 
and um, you know, young kids, very sick young kids that would die, and sometimes you'd turn up to visit them, and they were, they weren't there, and uh, that used to be a bit tough. But um, by the same token, you know, whatever little niggle I had. Or if I was feeling down because I got dropped or I was overcoming an injury, that sort of uh, paled into insignificance, if you like. Um, you know, when you saw these young kids and, yeah, your heart used to bleed for them and, and I'd come to see one and then there'd be, you know, the whole room would be full of kids coming from everywhere. And, um, yeah, and... I used to feel a bit bad because I only bought one footy or one T-shirt with me to see this one particular kid. And, and seeing all them other ones, I, I thought to myself one day, well, I'm going to go back to Puma and I'm going to fill that boot up and, and take them all a shirt. And I, I think they they uh, woke up to it when the girl in the warehouse sort of said, yeah, look, he's, he's taken the whole lot. And he's taken all different sizes, small sizes and medium sizes and... And I think they might have thought that I was sort of flogging them down the market or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I think they might have even had someone follow me one day. And, um, yeah, as the story goes, uh, I think Forbesy told me once that, um, yeah, they followed me straight to the hospital that one day and once they saw me sort of grabbing a big handful out of the boot and going back into that children's ward, I think they sort of went, oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's not selling them at the, at the market, and you know. Um, but yeah, why not? Why not? Alan, it's been uh, more than two decades since you finished up, but on the Melbourne Footy Forum that we run, Demon Land. Every now and again, invariably, a new thread uh, pops up uh, asking, where's Alan Jakovic? Um, are you aware of just how popular you are still with the Demon Faithful? I mean, uh, you're sort of revered as, as a god. You probably don't want to hear that, but uh, maybe it's because you've been off the scene for so long. But people love what you did, how you played. Uh, were you sort of aware of all of that? Um, in the, in the yeah, well, you do get reminded of it. Not that I'm very active on social media. I, I sort of uh, don't know too much about that, but I will get reminded every now and then from a friend that might have seen something or um, heard something or or something like that. And, um, you know, when I finished playing footy, um, I gave up a lot to play footy, a lot of your life and a lot of your time. And then, you know, I didn't mope around too much when it was over because there were other things in life that I wanted to pursue, like me, love for fishing and the outdoors and stuff like that, stuff that you can't really pursue, especially in the winter months when you're playing footy. And for that fact, not much in the summer either because you were sort of, you'd only have a few weeks off and then you'd bang into the pre-season at Nove- in November. Um, so... Um, yeah, you know, off I went and got on with my life and um, and uh, basically kept a pretty low profile. Um, I'm pretty pretty quiet, if you like. Uh, I've got a beautiful wife and a couple of kids now and they consume a lot of my time. I'm pretty much a family man, if you like. And, uh, yeah, just enjoying it, watching them grow and, um, yeah, getting on with my life. Um, I can already hear um, I can already hear thousands of listeners wondering the question 
uh, is there a father-son prospect in the works, or as we're now um, allowed to dream and believe too, a father-daughter prospect perhaps? Yeah, there could be a father-daughter one there. There's not a son one there. But um, no, I've got um, my, my youngest is uh, quite incredibly gifted academically. And it must right. come from her mum. <laughs> uh, definitely not for me because uh, I didn't pick up many books when I was young. But uh, oh, she's constantly got a book in her hand and um, she's really excelling at school. And they're not really that much in the sport. So, um, yeah, I suppose that's a lot of a problem with a lot of kids these days. They are uh, sort of consumed with uh, all these gadgets and things like that, but even though my wife keeps a pretty close eye on that sort of stuff and makes sure that they get outdoors and that, yeah, they're not really into any ball sports or netball or anything like that, really. So, um, you know, you can only back them and, and, um, and um, sort of embrace what they embrace and what they love. And I'd love to see one of them playing in the um, uh, WAFL for sure. Um, yeah, it would be it would be something something special to see, but um, I don't think so at this stage, mate. Um, as uh, as Andy mentioned before, you, and, and you said you've sort of been out of the spotlight since your retirement. Um, the interest in you hasn't subsided. There's been all kinds of apocryphal stories of you. Um, running fishing charters, working on an oil rig, working in the mines. Can you confirm any of those stories? And can yeah, you share well, there's with a us, bit of that's all um, true. What, you, what um, you're doing these days? Yeah, they're still doing the same thing, mate. It's still seasonal um, up and down the east coast. Uh, we run a bit of a, uh, a charter company in season. And then out of season, we, we, we sort of do a bit of work with BHP and uh, shutdowns and things like that on oil rigs when they shut them down and um, um, sort of involved with a bit of OH&S and gathering permits and all that sort of stuff. Um, I did a, did a fair bit of rigging um, uh, before that and sort of found an easier option running around sort of chasing permits and things that are all OH&S uh, compliant these days. And, um, yeah, that sort of uh, keeps me busy in the off-season and then in the fishing season. It's, it's pretty, um, yeah, all systems go. Um, yeah, even when we're not doing that, we're not um, chasing fish, we're transporting boats, things like that. So I utilise some of my licences there to, to move boats around up and down the coast. Uh, and things like that, so that keeps me pretty busy, and um, and that's about it. Do you uh, do you st- do you still watch watch the game uh, and follow what's going on? And more importantly, are uh, you still a demon? Oh, absolutely, through and through. Once a demon, I think always a demon. That's for sure. And uh, unfortunately, uh, on the north coast of New South Wales. Um, uh, I, I probably only get to see Melbourne two or three times a year, which isn't enough. Um, I'm just starting to get a little bit more savvy with uh, uh, the digital world, and you've got phones now that can sort of play your games. So um, 
I'm looking forward to seeing a few more of them. But um, obviously up here, we get the uh, Greater Western Sydney games live and we get the Sydney games live. Yep. So when Melbourne are playing either of them two, we usually get that live feed. So I sort of make time to make sure that I, I, I catch them games. Um, I had a fair bit of interest in the in the West Coast, believe it or not, when Glenn was still playing and I was retired. And I, I still kept a pretty keen eye on Glenn to see how he was going. And, um, yeah, I, I basically like uh, any other uh, punter out there um, that enjoys their, their, their footy and try and keep an eye on it and, and, and watch what's going on. And, um, yeah, and, and a special eye on, 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 especially on Melbourne. And I, I can see some real good things happening. I just hope that they can keep this route. Um, I'm, I'm super impressed with um, the reigning BNF, Clayton Oliver. Um, yeah. yeah, I could see great things in him before he even started doing great things, you know. And uh, Is that because of that? Hogan. Is that because of the number that uh, Clayton Oliver was? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it might have been the first thing that sort of uh, uh, sprung to me attention, but um, uh, no, believe me, what he can do with the ball and yeah. the way he rebounds and um, and just his evasiveness. Um, um, yeah, um, a great player. He's going to be a real Melbourne great, I, I think. If He's a special kid, isn't he? He's very special, he is, and we spoke about young Jesse there before. He, he's a great forward. Big Maxi Gorn, I love watching him play. Yeah. Um, he was crawled by injury last year. Viney, well, we know about him, and yeah, he comes from some great stock. Yeah. Jones has been a great player in good and bad times there. I don't mind young Garlett, too. He's not a bad forward. I think he needs to be... Um, yeah, he needs to be sort of uh, looked after. I don't know. Um, I think there's got to be some good people in his ear to really... Oh, I can see him in his shell a little bit, you know. Yeah. I want to see him sort of jump out of that and sort of, you know, let his talent do the talking and sort of bust out. And I'm waiting for him to really bust out. I like Patrika. He's another um, solid player. Um and I, I think you can really build a great group around these blokes. I, I just don't know the way they trade these days and players wanting to go home and you know, there's a lot of money involved these days too, which is always going to be harder to keep a group together like Adelaide have probably just experienced now with um, their latest defect there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the game's got really complicated. It's really... You know, uh, this free trade's going to be really massive, I think, um, with what we saw with Dusty Martin go through. Yeah. And uh, what a special year he had this oh, year. God, Just yeah. incredible. And the, the amount of pressure that the young kid must have been under. Well, he's not young anymore, but, you know, he took it all on. He took on everyone this year and just beat everything and everybody. And, um, you know, walked away with a swag, uh, deservedly a swag of awards. He, he was great. The buzzword of this trade period was that whole go-home factor. Um, you, from coming from interstate, sort of experienced that. Uh, was, the, was that ever a factor for you? Was the, the pull to go home ever something for you? Or you were, because sort of, you're more mature, you I could, guess, when you started? 
Oh, but you could say where was my home, you know. Yeah. I left pretty young and uh, went to South Australia. I, I played up in um, in Darwin and uh, I love that travel. Um, um, and, um, you know, I was a bit like that song, wherever I laid me hat, that was me home, sort yeah. of, you know. Um, so, you know, your home's always home and your mum and your family and where you originate from. But... Um, you know, these days you can jump, even in, back in, in our day, you could jump on a plane. You know, you usually had a few flights in your contract where you could get back and bring your mum over and things like that. So I think it's a bit of an excuse. And if, you really, if you've really got a burning in your guts and you really want to play this great game, it doesn't matter where you go, you know. Um, you should just make the best of it. Um, but then by the same token... Uh, Jase, you can't, um, um, yeah, you can't be dirty on someone that wants to go home. You know, um, you can understand it. You know, there's kids that probably grow up now in, in South Australia. Let's say, for instance, or, or Perth, for that fact, and they probably dream of playing for the Eagles, or they dream of playing for Fremantle. Especially when that club's successful. I mean, Fremantle hasn't had much success, but you look at, uh, you know, West Coast has been a, a pretty successful club over the years. Um, a lot of controversy there too, <laughs> with some different things. But um, you know, and so you know, uh, when a player misses out on being drafted by the team, you know, there's not many players even in our day that played for a team that they barracked for. You know. I mean, a, 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 a few isolated ones there that, that that were lucky enough probably to play for the club and play their whole life for that club and that club that they supported, someone like a Steve Silvani, if you like. Um, maybe there was a bit of father and son there or, or something like that. But, um, you know, there's guys that uh, come to the end of the road at a club and it's time to move on. And, and if you really want to play the game... Um, you know, I, I think you should, you know, uh, relish or jump at the chance. And, you know, if you're a young kid, let's say you followed West Coast all your life and um, West Coast don't pick you up, well, you know, if you still want to play and that, that fire's burning in your belly, uh, it doesn't matter where you go, you know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's young kids out there that just really want to play and they've been in the system a long time and these academies and things like that. And, you know, as opposed to playing in the VFL, uh, or you get picked up, you know, pick 79 or 80 in the draft and you go to Brisbane and they might be on the bottom of the ladder, well, there's an opportunity for you, you know, and why wouldn't you grab it with both hands and, 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 and run with it? So I think, yeah, there's a few pull that excuse and I think there's a few coaches that are starting to, um, show a bit of disdain towards that. But, um, yeah, the game's got pretty complicated now and there's a lot of money involved and, you know, yeah. Uh, we spoke earlier um, about some of the... that you played uh, in an era where some of the game's greatest forwards played, Ablett, Lockett, Carey, Dunstall. How does Buddy Franklin compare to those guys, do you reckon? Oh, right up there. You know, um, there's no telling um, what 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 uh, Buddy could do. You know, another four or five years he could be given um, 
like the Rockets record a shake. Um, and if you had to throw him into our day, um, yeah, I, I reckon he would have been... Uh, he probably would have had more shots at goal. He would have been more focal and played more as a, a true full forward, if you like. And uh, he would have kicked a 1,000 goals, no doubt at all. He would have been up there with Dunstall and Lockett. I've got no... no yep. uh, no delusions about that, that's for sure. And and, and I don't know, I, I think the game uh, this day demands that there's that much run and it's that quick. Um, I can't believe some of the handles, like they're in a phone, phone box, you know, and um, just pumping out handles. And uh, you look at someone like Buddy that can go up and yeah, he could play a game on the wing, you know, and that's unheard of. I don't think you'd ever imagine uh, Plugger or Dunstall playing on a wing, you know. Um, yeah, whereas a- Buddy, he's that mobile that, um, yeah, he would have tore it apart in our day just like he's doing uh, today. And these days, you haven't really got a real focal point. You've got you've got on-ballers that are kicking goals, you've got small forwards that are kicking yeah. goals, and they're all popping up, and you see the goals are shared. Now, when you have a look at the uh, results after a game, you'll see a lot of players with two goals, one goal. You know, you might have eleven or twelve different goal kickers for the day in that one team, and and um, you know you didn't see that much in our day. Um, so um, yeah, Buddy would have torn it up. It's just great to watch him. I love watching him, and uh, that big rake and left foot of his. Yeah. Um, just, just the entertainment plus, absolutely, and um, yeah, he just seems to get stronger and stronger every year. Um, and uh, yeah, great to watch him. Love watching, buddy. How how do you think you would adapt to the modern game, um, the way you played? So, uh, how do you think you uh, you'd go if you're playing today? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that um, you know, uh, with a uh, you know a fit body been sort of 23 years of age like I, I once was I, I think I was quick enough um, to play this game I think I'd have, have to have a little bit more endurance and I think the pre-seasons would be a bit more trickier as far as um, you know you'd have to be a lot more mobile and um, you know that's what they demand of players these days that you can you know run up and play on the half back line or go up and chase a kick up on the wing like uh, your buddy does. Um, so um, the game these days, you, you, you can't just be a backman or a forward. I think you've got to have that mobility. You've got to be a utility. Um, like when we played, there were only probably about three or four utilities uh, in a team. Uh, these days, you'll find you know, 90% of the team mm. can, can, can be called on to play anywhere. So the game has got that quick and uh, there's that much run involved now. But, um, yeah, but I think you ask anyone that retired that, that played a bit uh, yesteryear and I think that all say, yeah, you know, you'd be confident that you could compete, especially if you played at the top level back, uh, you know, uh, yesteryear. Uh, you'd like to think that um, you could. Um, yeah, wouldn't it be great to be 25 again? <laughs> yeah, certainly. 
what about the off-field aspects of it? Um, I know you're obviously not in uh, Melbourne or Victoria, so you're sort of removed perhaps from the fishbowl aspect of it, but there's intense 24-hour scrutiny of players in the media these days, um, and every action is examined under an incredible microscope. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, you talked about the the media before. Um, It's it's a hell of a lot worse these days than it was back then. Yeah, media on steroids now. Yeah, the media on steroids, that's for sure. I mean, you've got so many different components now in the media and your 360 and before the bounce and after the bounce and over the fence and in the grandstand. <laughs> Social media. All these, all these different shows and, 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 and TV channels that are dedicated to uh, a, a football club. You know, just like over in England now, you've got uh, Liverpool TV and Man U TV. And I think we're sort of uh, going down that road too. But, uh, yeah, you see a lot of guys and you shake your head when you think, you know, they get in trouble on social media. I think if I was playing today, I'd have the same attitude towards social media as I've got now where it's non-existent and I have nothing to do with it. And uh, there are a lot of keyboard warriors out there that... uh, you know, upset a lot of people, and um, it's quite a big thing in society. I've got young girls growing up now, and I don't really want them playing, uh, being involved in that sort of stuff. You know, you, you see young girls committing suicide and things like that because, you know, they haven't got the right look or they've been taunted on social media. Yeah. So I think it's a real... Um, uh, yeah, I think it's quite a problem. But when you see a player get in trouble and you think, well, you know, when when I went out in Melbourne, I didn't get into trouble at all. You know, it doesn't mean I wasn't a, a scallywag here and there, but, you know, I didn't do anything bad. But, uh, you know, I used to love getting away and escaping to the lawn and down the Bells Beach and things like that and just getting out of the Melbourne CBD but um, you've just got to be mindful that everyone now has got a camera in their pocket, you know, and a, a, you know, a flick of a switch and all of a sudden, uh, you know, taking a photo of you and things like that. Um, but in some way, that can be a good thing too. Or it can be a deterrent as far as, um, you know, doing some stupid things um, with girls involved and things like that. I mean, um, it's really exposed everything and everybody now and it's just made that fishbowl sort of a little bit more clearer if you like but um, yeah and and I remember saying to you before Andrew um, with that social media um, you know I I can sit back now and say well I'd have nothing to do with it if 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 that was back in my day like I've got nothing to do with it now but it's a bit different when 13, 12-year-olds are on Twitter and things like that and they're, they're sort of bought up with it you know so everyone's got an account and everyone throws their two bobs worth in and um, but you know as soon as someone falls into trouble as soon as it, it bites them on the ass, all of a sudden they shut all their their accounts down you know, so, you know, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, if you like, you know. They, they can be handy in, in some aspects with keeping in touch with people that travel overseas and things like that. Facebook, which I'm not a part of any of that, 
but uh, I can see some of the the um, <clears throat> the positives uh, of that. But uh, yeah, again, on the flip side, you just got to be careful what you say and what you do. It's as simple as that. And I mean, back in our day, it was the same thing. You had to be mindful of uh, you know what you were doing. Uh, a lot of coaches used to say, "Nothing good happens after midnight," but. I had a lot of good things happen to me at two or three, four o'clock in the morning. That's for sure. But uh, you've just got to pick your times and and be smart about it. And um, you know, don't go doing anything that's you know going to bring yourself down or the club down. And and uh, you know, grab someone inappropriately or you know, respect women that sort of stuff. Um, and you've got no problems, I reckon. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> that's uh, that's good advice, um, <clears throat> Alan. I really want to thank you uh, for joining us tonight. Um, it's been an absolute great pleasure to talk to you, to find out what you've been up to, to reminisce about the old days. Um, they were some of my favourite moments um, of supporting this footy club, and um, you know you were a great part of that. You know, sort of my teenage years of watching watching the D's play and. Uh, you were an absolute pleasure to watch, and I hope you can understand the the love that is out there for you. Um, and um, thank you for joining us tonight. Yeah, you've been very yeah. generous uh, with your time, so I can't thank you enough. Yeah, the pleasure's been all mine, uh, Andrew and Jason. I'm a big big show of your a big fan of your little show that you've got running there. I'm sure you're going to go to. Uh, bigger and better things if you're not already sitting on that now but it's uh, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you and reminisce and um, yeah I just want to say hello to all those great Melbourne fans out there um, let's hope that uh, we can have a little bit of success in the not too distant future or we, 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 want, we want it straight away don't we Oh yeah, we do. We do. Bugger the distant future. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't really like Richmond too much, even though I was a little bit on their bandwagon towards the, the finals there. But when I think back about the Richmond, I used to hate them, <laughs> and I think we should get back to hating them. And uh, we want to see the red and the red and blue army out there cheering in that last day of September and. Um, I think that'll make us all happy. But uh, it's been great. Would, to you, would you come home for to... a granny? Would you come home and watch the boys if uh, if they made the last, the big dance? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, uh, I'd uh, have to pull a few tricks and try and get a ticket there, but uh, I'm sure I could, I could get one if I tried hard enough and it'd be great to sit there and watch the boys doing a lap of honour holding that cup. Um, would be, would I think we'd all have a tear in our eye. You know, it's been a long time, over 50 years now. And, um, you know, I think anyone that ever pulled on the, the great red and blue jersey, the first footy jumper that was ever invented, if you like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to see him running around that cup, um, I, I think we'd all have a tear in our eye. And um, I just wish him all the best this particular group and I hope they can just sustain they can build something and and, and start some sort of dynasty because I really do believe that um, that it's not far away with the current crop of players that we're witnessing right now that's for sure 
amen to that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Alan, thank you once again. Uh, very generous with your time. And, um, yeah, Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. It's, as I said, it was great talking to you, and I wish we can do it again during the year, and um, especially if the days are up and about, eh? Well, we'd love well, we to have you take back. you up on that offer. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you back, and you're always any, welcome. Any any time at all, boys. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, uh, I really do love and feel your passion for the footy club, and I hope it continues. And uh, you're doing great work, and I hope you just keep it up. Thank you, thank you very much, Alan. Thanks, boys. Good night. Great talking to you, and uh, talk again. Good talking to you too. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Wow. <laughs> Wasn't that... Wow, indeed. <laughs> uh, I can't believe that uh, that just happened. Um, just, uh, it... I hope you've recorded it just uh, just to be sure that it did happen. Oh, was I meant to record it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would incredible, um, you know, to go two hours with... You know, someone who, I mean, I know for myself and I know for you, was a big part of our teenage years. Um, I had that guy's name on my pencil cases, on my books at school. Um, I'm sure you did too. Uh, I had his name on my locker or something. I had posters up on the wall um, to just speak to him and, you know, hear what, you know, I'm speechless. (laughs) I thought um, uh, his answers were superb. I mean, we didn't have to do anything. Um, you and I hardly spoke at all uh, because his answers were so considered and expansive and thoughtful. And he's obviously got, uh, um, you know, he joked that he hadn't read many books growing up and didn't do too well at school, but he's certainly got a great mind for the game. Um and uh, yeah, it was uh, that was that was great. I just couldn't have uh, it couldn't have gone um, uh, couldn't have been more enlightening than it was. Yeah, and how how was his uh, memory of of all the games that he played and just little yeah. things that happened within games? I mean, I can't um, I can't remember things I did last week, and it, you know, he had such great knowledge and insight into how he you know, what happened, you know, 20-plus years ago. Look, we know some of those things inside out because we've watched them, yep. uh, the replay of them hundreds of times. Uh, but, yeah, he's uh, obviously still um, remembers most of it uh, very vividly because, um, as you said, there was sort of quite a lot of detail there. But um, it's funny, he sort of shattered uh, some myths, you know, the talking over the fence to the girlfriend. Yep. Um, but he added to others that whole story about the exorcist. That was incredible. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, adding, adding as you said, a new dimension to the, uh, to the kissing of Glenn. So, um, uh, and look, it was great that he confirmed others, such as the Puma story too. Um, there were different versions of that story going around. I think we'd heard that he was selling the gear at the market. Yep. Um, but there was also the story that... Um, that he was giving it away in hospital, and uh, obviously that turned out to be the case. So, uh, yeah, what a what a great guy, champion yeah. footballer, and uh, uh, great interview too. 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, I, I like the fact that uh, he left the uh, door opened uh, for a return. And uh, you know what? I'll take him up on that at some point down the track. Um, there's probably other things that you know we'd love to hear about. And, uh, you know, it's great to see that he's still a demon as well, um, you know, at heart. Um, you know, he's, and I love the Clayton Oliver <laughs> number 13 connection. Um, you know, that was great yes. to hear as well. Yep. Yep, and you can obviously see how good uh, how good a kid Clary is. Um, so, and it's great to hear that he's uh, you know obviously still paying attention um, and still following the boys. Uh, I thought it was uh, I didn't hadn't heard the story. I didn't know that his father had passed away so young. Yep. Um, or while well, Alan, sorry, was so young. So um, you know to hear that. Uh, uh, the message, I suppose, that he had for Jesse too was, uh, um, you know, was also sort of quite, uh, uh, quite interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, someone uh, mentioned in the chat room that uh, you know perhaps the club should try and get him down to be a mentor uh, to to Jesse, and uh, you know after hearing him talk, I'd love him to come back in some capacity because uh, he's got a lot of knowledge um, that he could probably impart on on uh, the current crop of uh, players. Um, I might just mention um, quickly, if you do want to call, I'll put the phone lines open now. Uh, if you want to give us a call and give your thoughts and say whatever you want about about the interview that just happened, uh, 0390163666. That's 0390163666. Uh, triple six or Demonland Thirty One on Skype. Um, we'll we'll probably just be here for another couple of minutes and just be debriefing what just happened. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting what you said about Jesse because I was watching some Jesse highlights the other day and there's a goal that he kicked against Carlton uh, the second time around where the ball was in the air and um, as he sort of began jostling for the mark, he then turned his body around. The ball bounced. And he was able to evade um, two opponents and snap a goal. And it was very Djakovic-like. Remember, he used to be able to do that. He'd sort of fly for the mark and then mid-air he'd sort of turn and uh, um, scoot around and leaving his opponent sort of going the wrong way. And he, had, he was so quick uh, to turn. Um, and, yeah, it was hard not to relive some of those uh, magic moments while he was taking uh, taking us through them. Yeah, well, I mentioned to him that uh, I put up today or yesterday um, onto Facebook, um, I cut down all the um, goals and behinds that he kicked in that North North Melbourne game, the 11-9, one on the full. Um, and he, yeah, that, that um, th- what you just mentioned then about him being able to get the ball and sort of turn and how quick he was, that it did that a couple of times in that game, and it, it was just so great to watch. Um, yeah, I don't have uh, and, higher to, higher words, to, higher praise for the guy. Um, and uh, some of the old Jacko was still there, wasn't it? Like when he said, don't take this the wrong way, but <laughs> I kick goals on all of them. I love uh, that. That's very much the Jacko of old. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, considered and thoughtful on the one hand, yep. but... Um, Still a bit of the old flair on the other. There was also the bit about uh, he he 
he would give he would give an offer goal to someone else, but he'd always make sure he got it back at some point or let them know that they owe him one. And I I just love that about about him. Um, and a, another quote that I liked of his is that uh, you, you don't kick goals with handballs. <laughs> yes, that's that right. That a nice one. Uh, wow, I can't believe we just spoke to Alan Jakovic for I know. two hours. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> it, you know, when when I posted... Uh, it was worth a wait. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I posted on social media that we were going to be interviewing with him, um, you know, just... It, brought people out of the woodwork you know he's got a lot of fans and um you know I, I sort of i asked him in the interview you know you must realize that there's a lot of people that um you know sort of work he probably doesn't want to hear it but there's a lot of people that sort of worship him and i don't know if that's because he spent so much time out of you know out of the limelight since he's retired which is you know his prerogative he he, he has the right to sort of fade into the background but also because of the impact that he left on the game, you know, in such a short time, those, you know, you, you said it during the interview, he kicked bags of six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, you know, it doesn't happen anymore. So we've got this sort of seared into our memory uh, from the past. And, you know, of course, we're going to sort of revere um, him because of that, because one, we, we you know, we've been starved uh, with, you know, starved of success and, just having that memory of uh, how great he was. Yeah, just reading uh, some of the comments back in the in the thread that you created promoting it, and uh, agree with what Small but Forward has said um, about being completely hung up on his fantasy forward line of uh, Jakovic, <laughs> uh, the Wiz, Nita Ox, uh, Lion, and and uh, Andrew Obst on the other flank. Um, wow. Imagine, um, imagine the Wiz and Jacko together, huh? Oh yeah, that, I, I, when he was talking about that, I was just absolutely everyone was drawing, yeah, surely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it, you know, and he talked. I, I'm watching that that the replay of that North Melbourne game. We really did have some fantastic player, and he mentioned it. Andrew Ops was just a, a fantastic player, also cut down by injury, and you know, sort of had a much shorter career. Um, Dyson was in that game uh, as well. He was a great yep. footballer. Um, we had some great names uh, about in those days, and uh, yeah, it's a shame, um, you know, we that we couldn't get a, a premiership in those years. You know, it's uh, we certainly had the yeah. Talent. Well, as he said, you know, injury. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of those guys, uh, apart from Nida, as he said, um, you know, had uh, just. Um, kept uh, kept getting injured so um, it wasn't to be unfortunately but uh, gee, a lot of wonderful highlights um, from those uh, from those three years at the club um, if someone does want to give us a call uh, they'll keep the lines open for another couple of minutes if you want to uh, weigh in a lot of people are weighing in on the uh, uh, the thread we've got on demon land Um Zero three nine zero one six three triple six. That's zero three nine zero one six three triple six. Or Skype us, Demonland thirty one. Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah, it's <coughs> a lot of people sort of saying that they surprised at how articulate yeah. <coughs> and thoughtful he was and considered in his answers. And 
I've got to agree, uh, it's just blown away. Um, obviously a, a great thinker um, about the game too. Yep, and uh, we do have a caller on the line. Uh, welcome to the uh, Alan Jakovic special uh, Demonland podcast. Uh, who are we talking to? Hey, oh. You'd be talking to Colin B. Flaubert again. Uh, Colin, how are you going? Not too bad, not too bad. Well done with the interview. It was definitely worth the wait. Yeah, it wasn't it? Uh, I mean, mm. what were your expectations and were they met? <laughs> well, I was. I made a bit of a facetious comment in the chat room that if it was a demon lander coming on with a crap impersonation of Alan Jakovich, I'd be highly aggrieved. But yep. as I said, it was a rather facetious comment, but definitely it actually hit a lot of the bases that I, I was actually hoping it had hit. Yep. Um, in that, as you said before, that he basically was able to remember a lot of what actually happened in all the games he, he played in. I guess, look, he, he didn't have as long a career as others, but, you know, to remember back how many odd years would that be now? 26 years? Yeah. To remember it in that kind of detail is just absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah. he, was, he was really articulate too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. No doubt about it. But um, there was one thing that I was up to, like, you ever do get him back on again. Yeah. You might want to um, quiz him about a story that Gary Lyon uh, had in his autobiography in that he, they went up to Inverloch, apparently, I think it was 26-odd oh, years ago, and um, Jacker had gone, like, he disappeared each and every night, um, and it came down to New Year's Eve, I think, one night, and Gary and... It was Gary and Rod Grinter um, were up at Inverloch, and, and Gary decided to go down to the pub, and he'd actually found out Jacker had been going down to the pub every night and actually singing with the band at the pub <laughs> and um yeah it might be worth you know checking that story out i thought you know that was um it was got well it's humorous i thought yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, you know i i actually was going to to ask him i had a lot of things that uh, we wanted to ask him um that we didn't mm. get to and hopefully we will but uh yeah i did want to ask him about his singing because uh, if you recall uh the footy shows back in those days he used to get on there and do a bit of uh um what uh, the doors uh, covers of some doors songs so um mm. yeah uh maybe we could have got him on to uh to give us to sing something for us perhaps a new rendition of our uh, come on demons uh, theme song <laughs> well, I was going to say, they kind of mangled that one. Yeah. Ago, so, yeah, I was going to say, you definitely would need, if you had someone with uh, Jacket's voice, I'd say you probably would give it justice, no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, but that, uh, look, that was just amazing. Um, you know, mm. I'd love to get him back to the club. Obviously, he sort of is happy with his retirement and, you know, sort of fading into the background. But, uh, yeah, he's, mm. you know. To... Um, it wouldn't be. I don't know. The one thing I was interested in is how did he actually get up to the Philippines? That's uh, one thing because people were like, I guess people kind of made the assumption he was actually living in the Philippines. No, no. Because there was a um, yeah, there was a thread on the Demon Land where um, it, there was a grand final function in Manila, him and Pikey, and yep. there was photos of him. And some, I guess you know, considering there's been a scarcity of information, people just kind of assumed that he might have been living up there. But how did he actually end up there? I thought the same thing when I saw that. I thought perhaps he's living in the Philippines, but no, he was. It's just like he was invited by the group that was putting it on. Uh, I don't know too much about it, um, and then I guess it was uh, like any sort of speaking gig that you get. He got invited. Uh, he, I think he's still mates with Pikey, um, or you know they keep in touch uh, as sort of you know ex uh, teammates might uh, do. Um, 
and yeah, I guess it was good. I don't know the ins and outs of you know whether it was a paying gig or not, or you know whether they paid for flights or accommodation. And no, no, not privy to any of that. But uh, I'm sure there was some arrangement made. And uh, but yeah, I guess it was like any uh, paid corporate uh, gig. And if, if they're going to well, pay, pay you or fly you up there, you're not going to say no for a holiday yeah. for a week. <laughs> no doubt about it. I was going to say, well, who, who do you think you should get up next? Because, like, there'd be, like, I think someone was saying in the chat forum that Mike Sheen's been chasing him for 10 years, though, by the sounds of it. I don't think he'd be too keen, actually, to go on open Mike if you actually heard a few of his comments about Mike. But um, that being said, um, who should actually you should be chasing up next to do interviews for, with, I should say? Well, I think that's the holy grail. I think we're retiring <laughs> after tonight. Exactly. <laughs> this was the last, this is the last podcast. podcast. Yeah. This is it. We're coming down from <laughs> the mountain know. now. So I don't know. I, I've I, you know, there's a lot of lot of ex players um, on social yeah. media, and it's good to have a bit of a mix uh, between the current crop of players and reminiscing with the um, the old crop. And there's quite a few of the old crop on social media so i'm going to sort of reach out to a couple of them i know there's a few other demon land po- demon not demon land but demons uh podcasts that have had guys that i'm sure they've uh, asked on social media to come on and yeah i'm i'm perhaps there's a f- couple of them that i'd like to get but then there's guys like you know, i'd love to get david schwartz but i reckon he'd be hard to get because of his um you know his commitments in media um you know, Gary Lyon would be great to get on. I don't think he'd probably come on a little old podcast like ours. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's, there's and it's not just play. It's not just players. We're after. You know, we had uh, we had Sophie Gaylor from the Cheer Squad yep. on, uh, obviously one week, and Titus O'Reilly came on another week. So we're also looking for uh, guests. You know, who are. Um, perhaps not so obvious in terms of, or you know, in the way that the players are. I guess. Yeah, I'll tell you who you should think of, yeah. and it's just popped into my head. Steve O'Dwyer, as uh, far as you know, cult figures. Like I've always wondered what happened to the big strawberry, and I don't know what's happened to him. Yeah, look, and I was just about to say, but how would you find him? But then again, we just interviewed Alan Jakovic, so <laughs> anything's <laughs> possible. Yeah, I guess that's very true. But I know I, I get the feeling that he actually might still be in Melbourne. I, I think I've heard somewhere that you know he's still getting around the traps. But I think as far as cult figures, he'd be a bit of a get. Well, I can hear someone typing. I, I think that's you, Grapevine. He um, type, furiously typing. Where is Steve O'Dwyer? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, well, if anyone can find him, yeah, I'd say that's going to be. <laughs> oh, no, Nash has just said get Sweeper Northy, but I do know that yeah, Sweeper Northy's still around Ballarat. Last thing I heard, because I'm originally from Ballarat, I'm in Japan now, but he was coaching Lima not long ago. Oh. So he's still getting around there and I actually saw him on the train actually going back to Ballarat from the Melbourne game. Yeah, I, I would I'm I'd I would doubt he'd I'd love to speak to him, uh, no doubt. I doubt though that he's on social media and that's you know, for guys like us that's that's sort of our only point of contact, um, you know, to get what some I'll of these say, guys. I'll I'll cut in here. Yeah, if sure. you go he's got a website, Ooh. I think it's called Swooper Coaching or something like that. He yeah. runs his own website where he puts out videos about coaching and what have you. I'd say that'd be your best bet if you wanted to get in touch with Sweeper Norby. Well uh, yeah, I was gonna yes, yeah, sweepercoach dot com dot au. Yeah, I, I that's not the exact um, URL, but I've seen his website 
and he puts out videos like you know about coaching and stuff like that and drills and how to motivate players. If it's a website, he would have had an email address attached to that. So I'd say have a look there. Yeah, well, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm onto it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, Chaser, well, Chaser Jones saying that uh, now that Jeff Farmer's back in Melbourne, um, he's another one that's obviously uh, somewhere near the top of the list uh, to talk to the Wiz. Mm. Um, saw mm. him at the football uh, late in the season too. And look, we should just address one thing. Andy Nash has posted that. Uh, uh, was congratulated us on his work and says he won't even begrudge the snub this week. Uh, not snubbed at all, Nasher. Uh, just would have been uh, too difficult uh, with three people asking questions, given that he was already mixing up uh, yeah. the two of us. <laughs> um, so I, I was uh, I was Jace for most of the interview. Uh, so uh, you're getting all the credit for my fantastic uh, questions. Um, yes. So, uh, but I'll let that one slide. Um, uh, but Nasha, no, this sort of all came about very, very quickly um, as well. So, uh, you know, it sort of all happened very, very quickly. So I, I apologise for that and please accept our apologies. And, um, yeah, if you would like to join us, we're going to be back. We'll discuss the trades and all that, um, uh, you know, trade week uh, on Wednesday next week. So please, Nasher, accept yeah. our apology. Uh, fellas, I'm going to get going nonetheless because uh, my wife just put, um, looked in the door. Um, she heard me speaking English and <laughs> usually that's a, that's a sign of something strange in her eyes. So I better leave it there. But anyway, congratulations on the interview. You did a fantastic job. Thanks, mate. Uh, appreciate it. Okay. Cheers. Hey, good on you, fellas. Good night. Right. Good on you. See ya. All right. Uh, well, it's a big night, wasn't it? Uh, it was huge. Uh, if anyone does want to jump in and call us, uh, we'll probably just take one more. Zero three nine zero one six three triple six or Demonland thirty one. But uh, yeah, do you, you know have... what? You know what else I loved, uh, and I didn't know that fist pump that he used to do. You know, he used to hold one hand like that and then with his fist yep oh yeah because um, i saw it every time he kicked a goal <laughs> uh yeah that he was um sometimes indicating to swooper yes uh and uh sticking it right up him yes uh, there was lots of things that we could that i, I know what i liked i really liked the story of the 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 armband as well and the significance of that. Um, I thought that, you know, that was great that, you know, cause I, I, my memory of him is having that armband on quite a lot. And, yes. um, yep. you know, I liked how he said he would just tell people it was a made in Darwin or a made in Adelaide or, or Perth or something like that. But it was often just when he needed a bit of, uh, you know, something extra, um, a bit of a reminder of his, his old man. I, I really like that story. It's sort of, Good to hear those stories. I mean, obviously not, you know, it's the sad sadness connected with his father passing away when he was younger. But, um, yeah, it's sort of nice to hear those down-to-earth, you know, real relatable people uh, moments in sport. So, yeah. And as Damon Jack has just posted in the thread, um, one listener has already edited his Wikipedia page to mention that he's been on the Demon Land podcast. So oh. it's good to know that... Uh, uh, tonight's broadcast has, uh, well, podcast has been um, uh, entered into the, you know, official history of the universe. <laughs> Great. <laughs> as it is on Wikipedia. 
Well, um, yeah, and uh, it'd be very, <laughs> no, I think it would be nice as well, and not for just for Demonland, but for Djakovic as well, if some of the media outlets, and I know some of the boys from uh, SEN um, were listening, uh, I was sort of... Uh, had an eye on a bit of the Twitter feed just to see what people were saying and some of those guys were out there. So it'd be, you know, feel free to um, to, to take bits from th- from this. Uh, credit us, uh, though. Uh, that'd be nice. But, <laughs> it, it, it you know, it, it'd be good. I think it's nice sort of that the, the stuff he said about Jesse, some of the stuff he said about the... Um, the current day players as well. If the if the Melbourne Football Club jumps onto it, that that would be great. Um, you know, um, it's always good to hear those stories of past players who have something positive to say um, about uh, you know the Footy Club. And uh, yeah, zero three nine zero one six three triple six or Demonland thirty one on um, on Skype. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I'll be able to uh, to, to sleep tonight. Um, that was a, a great, great interview, and uh, you know what a great bloke. He's the type of guy you'd you'd love to have a beer with. I think um, you know he's that's that's now on my uh, bucket list. <laughs> I, I ticked off the interview part. Now now it's uh, time to to grab a beer uh, with a great man. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, wouldn't have thought um, uh, you'd get uh, offered the chance to do that, would you? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we'd be uh, interviewing uh, him, uh, and and we did. So I, I guess it's you throw something out uh, to the universe, we, and you, it comes back to you. So we knew about the police escort, didn't we? I think we've heard that one before. Yes, well, I think that's been mentioned. I seem to. That seemed to sort of ring a bell when he was telling that one, yeah. uh, getting getting the police escort out of Victoria Park. But I don't think we knew that uh, he went in the back of the divvy and did a few laps um, of the ground. So, uh, yeah, it was just funny to hear uh, hear those kinds of stories, I suppose. I think I'll be uh, downloading, um, legally, of course, uh, The Exorcist uh, this week and... Uh, Trying to track down a good copy of uh, the game. What year was uh, the was that that was that was after they won the premiership uh, West Coast? So I think it must have been ninety three. Um, so we'll have to have to watch that one closely um, and see whether the um, we can uh, lips see read the uh, and see Jimmy lips. standing with his hands on his hips. Yeah, yeah. He did a very good uh, Irish accent as well. Uh, so uh, that's another talent we uh, uncovered uh, tonight. Um, yeah, I don't think he disappointed, that's for sure. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people have been waiting a long time to hear him speak, and I think he was uh, he was great. Um, <laughs> he was every uh, every bit as good as he was on the field. So, um, uh, yeah, it was a delight to talk to him. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, once again, I'd, love, I'd like to just thank, Thank uh, Alan for for giving us the opportunity to speak to him. Um, we were happy to provide a platform for him to do that. Um, and yeah, I thank you to the football gods that made this all possible and happened. And 
what can I say? You know, you don't often get to speak to your your heroes, and he certainly was. A, a, you know, I won't say a childhood because I was in my teenage years when he burst onto the scene, uh, but. Yeah, he was a hero of mine, a hero of a lot of uh, people, and there's a lot of love out there for him. And um, I'm I'm happy that we could provide people with, um, you know, the forum to be out for them to hear, um, you know, what he had to say. Yep. Yep. And be uh, good to get him back on. Yeah, well, uh, he will definitely do that. Uh, be good. And he did say... Um, he did say he would be down here, or he tries hardest to get down here, if we uh, made the granny. So, uh, yeah, Jack is coming to town. Um, one more one more reason to uh, to get the boys to fire up. Yeah, yeah. I'll be good to, you know, I hope he's here come uh, September, last uh, Saturday in September, because um, that means uh, we'll be in the granny. All right, uh, thank you, Grapeviney, um, for joining me. I apologise, Nasha, for not joining us, but we'll be back. Um, Wednesday night, I think we'll be back and we'll discuss, you know, the madness that was trade week. You know, we've got, got to discuss Jack Watts. Um, you know, Jake Lever, Jack Watts, Harley Balick. Is it Balick or Balich? We'll find out next week. Um, that, that, that's your... Stay tuned. That's your... That's your uh, that's your homework for next week. All right, Alan Jakovic, thank you very, very much uh, for the interview. Thank you, everyone, for listening and uh, Colin for calling in. We'll be back Wednesday next week. Demonland.com. <laughs>